everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Dark Art Society podcast. I'm Chet Czar, your host. This is episode 104. And today we are going to be interviewing Harley Brown. Um, Harley Brown is more of a traditional artist. I first discovered him through a book called Harley Brown's Eternal Truths for Every Artist, and um, was really influenced by it pretty heavily, I think. Uh, there's a lot of valuable information for artists in there, but also good, uh, um, hmm, what's the word I'm searching for? Good insights into being an artist and having the right attitude to be an artist interesting it's like sort of like his thoughts on being an artist as well as just great technical information so it, it was kind of a <clears throat> when I got that book which was given to me by my friend Mitch Devane who I've talked about many times this great sculptor at Rick Baker's I worked with for a few years um, he, he he let me borrow the book and it uh, I don't know I, I feel like right around that time I because of that book, it kind of kicked me up another level. Like I learned a lot of stuff that I didn't know before because I didn't go to art school or anything. And he does, you know, Harley does um, uh, traditional portraiture, um, mostly Native American stuff, but it's really, it's just incredible work. It's really great. I'm just a huge fan. I didn't used to appreciate that kind of work when I was a kid. Like I was always drawn to the weird stuff as a kid. But as I grew up and became, I guess, more mature as an artist and as a human being, I started uh, appreciating all kinds of painting and really uh, have developed a great love for traditional painting almost as much as I love the dark art stuff. So, um, there's less of a line for me now, but that's beside the point. Harley's amazing. He's 80 years old and he was a, a really excellent interview. It was so good. I think this is one of my favorite interviews we've had on this podcast. So, um, I'm excited for you to hear it. Now, before we get into that, I'm going to read off new patreon subscribers we got let's see we got uh six new subscribers um wait a minute see maybe not Pat patreon changed the layout of everything so um now i can't check to see who the new oh wait a minute yes i can there it is. Please be. Yeah. Okay. Notifications. Cool. Never mind. Um, all right. <clears throat> New subscribers. One, two, three, four, five, there's six. Okay. So we have Win Wright. Thank you for pledging. Kim Holm. Thank you. Thank you. Michael Acevedo. Thanks so much. Michael, I believe. 
unless I'm getting him confused with someone else, I think he's been posting some really cool artwork of his in the Dark Art Society cooperative Facebook page that you get access to when you join this Patreon. Okay, Gavin Woodard. Thank you very much. Alan Smith bumped his pledge up. Very much appreciate that. I think Alan's been posting stuff in there as well. It's really active, the Facebook uh, group page. And Christine Weird, Word, Word, W-Y-R-D. I'm sorry if I didn't say that right, but Christine just joined. Um, like, uh, let's see, about two hours ago. So thank you for that. As I always say, you are the reason we're able to put this podcast on. So every time you listen to the podcast, you can say, I am part of the reason this is happening. So we really appreciate it. This way we can keep the podcast free for everybody. And the, the uh, website we're building for the Dark Art Society is going well. It's, it's making, we're making progress on it behind the scenes. I've got... The, uh, I've got Dark Art Society t-shirts in process for the $50 members. And um, I've got a Dark Art Society pin in the works. So things are happening. The pin looks so cool. Dos Diablos did this amazing variation of the logo that's just uh, breathtaking. Okay. So thank you all for subscribing. You're the best. I love you. Okay, so now on to the new feature where I am answering questions from uh, the Instagram page. So let's see here. And, uh, you know, I've heard some good, we've seen good feedback from this so far. So uh, let me know if you like it one way or another. So I'm just trying out this new thing since I'm doing the podcast without Mike now, and I have to kind of uh, figure out a way that works well for doing a podcast by myself. So I thought um, answering questions since we started the Instagram profile run by the amazing Brian Kilgore, who is also our audio engineer. He is killing it. Not only with the audio, he's been doing a great job with the audio, but with the Instagram um, administration the the administration for the dark art society instagram page now if you want to see how to operate your your own instagram page follow the dark art society instagram page and see how he's hashtagging everything how he's choosing his the images he's really just doing a perfect job and so I think maybe I said that last time. Sorry, I won't, I won't keep harping on it, but I'm just so uh, excited and impressed with his work he's been doing on, on there. And he's so easy to work with and such a nice guy. So thanks, Brian. Okay, first question. At Old Goat Easel Works. At Old Goat Easel Works. How important is professional training, art school? Well, it depends on the art school, who's teaching you, and I guess what kind of person you are as an artist. I didn't go to art school. I almost went to um, Art Center College, and uh, 
I backed out at the last minute because I knew that I wanted to, to get into the film industry right away. So I thought, you know, I can do this. And partially I was kind of probably scared to go because I was kind of like a chicken like that. But mostly I, I, I knew where I wanted to be and I just thought, you know, spending time at, art, at an art college would take time away from where I knew I wanted to go anyway. And I felt like I could probably do it without going to college. So anyway, we actually talk about this. Um, Harley, in this interview today, Harley mentions how he was kicked out of art school and it was actually a really good thing for him. So I know a lot of artists who did go to art school that are great. And I know some artists that went to art school that aren't great and quit art. And I know artists who never went to art school that are great and artists who didn't go to art school that aren't great. So, you know, I'm, I've always been kind of a self-starter. Um, I'm, uh, it's, I think it's because I was so shy. I, I, I hated school, regular school. I really, you know, aside from a few good teachers I had in school, I just didn't like being at school with a bunch of other people. I'm just more of a loner. So, <clears throat> and I, I'm just the kind of person that likes to learn alone really and, and through books and stuff. So I, it's not essential to becoming a great artist. I know a lot of amazing artists who never went to art school. Um, my dad really had bad things to say about art school because he went in the sixties when they were not teaching figurative work. And that, that was, that's kind of Harley's um, take, I believe as well, but you'll hear that coming up in the interview. Okay. This is taking too long. I'm taking too long on these. Okay. Um, at, I don't have bones. Hey, what's the big idea, wise guy? Um, I would say the big idea is that you and everything that exists is God. That's the big idea. Okay, at Daniel Kazra, how do you stay awesome? You know, I didn't, I wouldn't normally read the joke questions, but I didn't go through this first, so uh, I'm not doing this in a self-serving way. I really didn't. <laughs> How do I stay awesome? Uh, uh, my wife keeps me awesome. How about that? I don't feel awesome. Uh, I feel like I'm doing, I'm doing my best. That's how I feel. And uh, I don't know. I don't know how to answer that question, but thank you for asking. I appreciate that compliment. That's very nice of you. At Pyra underscore underscore. Curious about your vegetarian journey. 10 years here, KFC baby chick grinder did it for me. I started, let's see, you know what's weird is I was the biggest meat eater in the world. I was raised in the 70s and it was all about junk food, meat, and crappy meat. And, you know, I would get, I was the kind of kid that would get a hamburger with nothing on it. Um, or a cheeseburger or a bacon cheeseburger with nothing else on it. Like I was all about the meat. And so my sister went to a dairy farm when she was nine years old and she felt so bad for the animals at the dairy farm by the way they're being treated that she stopped eating meat at age nine. And ironically, you know, me and my brother used to give her shit all the time, like tease her about it, but she stuck to her guns. And this is in, you know, this is as a, as a nine year old, pretty amazing to make that decision. So anyway, 
cut to 1987 and I'm about, or somewhere around there, 80, yeah, maybe at 87 or 86 or 85 or something. And I had been thinking, I'm, uh, let me pre preface this by saying I'm a huge animal lover. Like I just love animals. I always have since I was a little kid. I've always felt connected to animals. So um, the older I got, I started thinking about meat and where it comes from. And, and I had this sort of um, cognitive dis dissidence, is that what they call it, where you're doing one thing, but you kind of feel it's wrong. So it creates a wedge in your brain. Um, and I felt bad about eating meat because I was the kind of person that would eat meat every meal. You know, there was no vegetables in there for me. It was meat. And uh, so I started thinking about it um, and considering it. And then I, I had this acid trip. And during the, after the acid trip, my, my friend and I were walking around San Pedro and we just went into a store. This was kind of like at the come down phase where you're, where you're philosophical and thinking about things. And we were walking through this grocery store and I, we found ourselves in front of the meat department and I looked up at this big mural of meat. Like they had a photograph blown up like of all these cuts of meat. And in that state of mind, I was thinking, that looks exactly like all this reference I've been using for creating dead bodies for this movie the Blob I was working on at the time. And we were using um, forensic books with autopsy photos of people cut open to see, to, to make things look real for the film. And for some reason that just clicked in my mind. It was so abhorrent to me to see this photograph of all this these beautiful cuts of meat with garnish and stuff seemed just so ghoulish when I thought about <laughs> what it was and it just after that I, I um, thought okay I'm, I am going to finally take the plunge and quit I read this book diet for a new America which was pretty good and, and uh, you know talks about all the horrible impact on the environment that eating meat has and there's all kinds of other aside from the ethical reason there's all kinds of other good reasons to do it your health and this and that. So anyway, it took me like three tries to do. Um, actually, you know what? I think I tried to quit once or twice before. And the first time I was working, I right when I, I quit, and then I went to go work on my first big movie in Italy. First time I'd ever been out of the country. And I was in Italy and there was just the most amazing meat. Everything was meat out there. So I fell off the wagon instantly. And I think I tried a second time. And I think the third time is after I had this trip and, um, and it stuck. And so I, I, you know, it was hard for me to stop. Um, cause I, like I was, I felt kind of addicted to it. And so I really had to psych myself out and tell myself how disgusting it was over and over to the point where now I'm 50 years old. This is, 30, 30 years ago, uh, to the point now where I can't, I can't eat it. Even if I wanted to, it's just, it's ingrained in my mind that it's disgusting. And, and I really wish I wasn't that bad about it because I'm not as militant about it as I used to be. And, um, you know, I kind of like the Buddhist idea that don't eat meat unless it's, if it's offered to you, then you should eat it. It's more important to eat what's offered to you and not be 
rude than to be a strict vegetarian, but I do eat fish on occasion. I did start doing that a few years back. Just, uh, I don't know, just so I have some option when um, going out to eat with people. But now it's not as much of an issue anymore because when I started, there was no good meat substitutes. Okay, that's my journey, basically. Um, I am at I am Jeff Collier or Collier, C-O-L-L-I-E-R. You have often said your paintings are an intuitive process. How did you prepare your reference for paintings when you first started? Uh, I didn't really have any reference for paintings when I first started. I didn't start preparing reference until after I sort of figured out how to paint and figured out what I was, you know, what my thing was, these monster portraits. And uh, it just to become more efficient, I started doing prep and uh, reference and using reference and stuff. But when I was first starting, I was just kind of going out of my head and um, I didn't do any studies. And then I realized that I, I need to do studies to make the paintings as, you know, as good as possible and as efficient as possible and as enjoyable as possible. Um, at Osgood the Green, this would be Caleb Osgood, I believe. What's your favorite color? You know, when I was a kid, it used to be, I remember it being blue, and then I remember it being red because I had a Honda motor motorcycle, dirt bike, and they were red. And um, I don't really feel like I have a favorite color anymore, to be honest. I kind of like them all. I'll accept. I'm not a big fan of dark green. But uh, if I had to pick one, I'd probably say red. I don't know. I don't really, honestly, I don't really have one. So, sorry. At Tim Sustrand. This is Thomas Sustrand, I'm guessing. But it says Tim Sustrand. I don't know. Um, I see your number five in a few of your paintings. Why is that number special to you? So, that's kind of a long story and it's addressed in the documentary that Mike Carell made about me called I like to paint monsters and I guess the short answer would be it's a spiritual number to me it represents my spiritual self um, if you want the full story I guess you can get the documentary maybe I'll tell it someday on here but I have a, so many of these questions I want to get through here if someone wants to hear the full story, ask it again and, and I'll get it on another episode where there's not so many questions here. I want to get everybody's in. At Eyeball Soup, have you ever lost motivation to finish finish a piece even though you worked for hours on it? Yes, I have. Uh, there's always awkward stages in paintings or sometimes I find, um, I don't know if I'm overpainting and over laboring on it on the painting or, or, or I don't know you just kind of lose your enthusiasm for it but when you have a show to paint for or you're doing a commission you don't really have the luxury so that's one good thing about being involved in art shows is that you have a deadline and you have to push through push on through so I think it's kind of normal to lose motivation but um, 
you know, once you become a professional, you don't really have the option to lose your motivation. If you do, you just keep doing it anyway, and then hope that it comes back. And what I found is that it does come back. You just have to, that's one of the things actually in Harley's book that I remember as well, uh, which you can get on Amazon, by the way, I'll put the link in the, in the uh, description on uh, SoundCloud. But uh, he, he kind of, one of the, he says he has his attitude like when you're going to sit down for a painting, put the paint down on the canvas and you're the boss. Don't let the blank canvas intimidate you. Just go for it. Be bold and just get it started. So uh, that kind of speaks to that in a way. Okay, so at F1NN Swim, opinion on the memo challenge. I don't know what that means. Memo challenge. I don't know. Sorry. At Dan Fisher Art, tell us about when you realized you had synesthesia. I realized I had synesthesia in the early 2000s. I was working at Rick Baker's shop. I remember this day pretty clearly. And it just dawned on me that I think it was the name Kathy. The name Kathy tasted like milk to me. And for some reason, it dawned on me and I thought, wow, I just realized that I've been doing this as long as I can remember until, you know, back to a little five years old. I, I realized that all these names and words, a lot of words had flavors to me. They just, I had this association. It's this, you know, and synesthesia is kind of this cross wiring of the brain. Um, Google synesthesia or uh, Wikipedia has got a pretty good explanation for it if you're not sure what it is. Um, but yeah, I was like, this is really weird. And I started telling my friend about it. My Actually Mitch, who I was working next to, Mitch Devane, the guy I talk about all the time, my sculpting mentor. And <clears throat> he was saying, oh, that's weird. And so I just started thinking about it and thinking more about it and I'd never verbalized it. It just has been going on in my mind. Um, so uh, I started thinking of all the names and words that had flavors to me. And and I was, and I, I don't know if someone mentioned it sounds like synesthesia because the class at the time, there wasn't a lot of information on synesthesia on the net that I could find um, or, or this condition on the internet. And then I, someone told me it sounded like synesthesia, which is the classic synesthesia is you see colors or you... You hear colors, you hear uh, music, and you kind of have an impression of colors or letters have certain colors in your mind's eye. And uh, so that one, so someone told me about that sounds like synesthesia. I looked it up and I was like, yeah, but that's a little bit different than what I have. And then eventually they um, updated the Wikipedia page to have include all these different types of synesthesias. And they even had, uh, I saw that there was a documentary about a person who had the kind of synesthesia that I have, which is, I believe is called uh, gastro gastrolexical synesthesia, something like that. And there's, uh, there's, there's some documentary, I haven't seen it, but I saw it in the, in the, on the Wikipedia page. So anyway, that was when I first realized I had synesthesia. Pyra, Pyra underscore, underscore, again, where did your son's name come from? Fritz K. 
came from my wife Lisa's brother, was named Fritz, and we thought that was a cool name. That's pretty much it. And uh, do I like cats? Yes, I love uh, <clears throat> at F-R-N-A Fernando, F-R-N-A-N-D-O-W. Do you like cats? Yes, I love cats, but we can't have them because my wife is really allergic to, to uh, cat dander. So we have dogs. We have short-haired dogs. That's how we kind of got started with the pit bulls, um, which are our favorite dogs. And uh, But I love cats. I love all animals. I really do. Animals are the, the best. Okay, let's see. Almost done. At B2RIANLS. I don't know what that spells. How do you go about naming your pieces? At what point in the process do they receive names? Um, sometimes I'll start with a name and then I'll come up with a title or I'll come up with a painting based on the name. Sometimes in the middle while I'm painting it, it comes to me and then sometimes it doesn't come until after it's done. And then sometimes it doesn't come easily at all and I have to sit and labor over it, think about what, what's a good name. And then it really comes down to for me, if it feels right, I go, okay, that's the name. For example, I was, when I was, I did a painting called the green nun, not too long ago, this green weird looking nun holding this big giant baby maggot. And I just had, I was, you know, coming up with the idea. I was thinking, a, you know, a nun with kind of this green skin would be cool. And then I put the, in, with a sketch and I put the maggot in there and I was like, oh, that's it. That's perfect. And then I was thinking the green nun would be the perfect title it just kind of came to me. So um, it either comes to me easily or I have to kind of sit and think of different titles. Sometimes I'll research ideas to try and come up with new words that I haven't heard. And if the words feels like it fits, if it feels right, then I just, that's how I name it. It's really an intuitive process. Okay. At, J-O-3-Y-3-D-W-A-R-D-S, which I believe is Joey Edwards, who is also in the Dark Art Society Cooperative and a Patreon supporter. Okay, what is the best route to be considered for formal gallery shows? Is it mostly knowing the right people or submitting work directly? Is it worth it versus growing on social media or vending directly at expos? Uh, I would say nowadays do it all, direct sales. You know, the thing is, first first thing you got to make sure your work is great and worth showing. That's the most important thing, I, in my opinion. So you got to make sure your work is up to par. Um, but the thing is, if you have a, if you can show a gallery that you are selling directly and you have a lot of sales under your belt, you'll get a show. If the, if, the, if the gallery director likes you, likes your work, and sees that you have a record of sales, you'll get a show. Um, sometimes if, if the, the gallery really likes your work and you don't have a track record, they'll still show you, but it's, you have a better chance if you have a, a sales record on your own. Um, sometimes a gallery, most galleries I know really like the artists they show, but sometimes if there's a big selling artist and they're not crazy about the work, they will still show that because they have to make money and keep the doors open. So I would say all of the above, concentrate 
first and foremost about making your artwork as good as possible and compare it to other art that's being shown in galleries and make sure that, you know, it's, it's up to that level. Then I would focus on promoting yourself on social media. And that's a whole other subject, which we've covered in past podcasts. You can look up and, uh, you know, submit. If you see calls for art for shows, submit, submit often, you know, be prepared to be, um, denied entry. I, I've had plenty of those myself, but I, you know, I, I, I took every opportunity to show that I could when I started. I took every show that was that, that, that would have me. Um, I started out with the Cannibal Flower Group shows because they're really a great place that to get your feet wet in the art world. It's an LA thing. It's a, a monthly um, group art show, huge group, group group show, like a party, art party. Um, but yeah, you mentioned knowing the right people and that is a big part of it and how it's basically networking is a big part of it. And what you have to do, if you want to make it as an artist nowadays, you have to go to the shows and you have to meet people and you have to network as uncomfortable as that sounds for many people. It was for me, but I, I forced myself to do it because I knew I had to if I wanted to make this work. So, um, it may, you know, it made me a better person though, because it made me able to speak to people when I was, you know, before that I was just super, super shy. And so, but it was more important to cultivate this art career than it was to stay shy. Um, so I, uh, uh, I would suggest going to as many art shows as you can, making as many connections as you can, reaching out to people online, other artists that you like, um, you know, promoting yourself on social media, trying to sell direct. Oops, sorry, my phone. Um, yeah, so I think that answered everything. Okay, at Payan, P-A-Y-A-N-3. How do you feel about signing sketchbooks? How do you feel about people who attend your shows but don't buy anything? That is a great question, really. Um, so often I see people, <laughs> it's kind of a funny little running joke. People come up, especially in uh, uh, at conventions. You're doing conventions. And uh, try and close this. This is irritating me. And they're like, oh, I love your work. I love your work. And then they don't buy anything. It's like, okay, <laughs> if you love the work so much, maybe buy a little something. I, I think that, you know, people don't think about it that way, though, really. I don't think it's, you know, they're being jerks or anything. I just, because I, you know, I, I, I've i done that. Oh, this is so irritating. This guy keeps messaging me. and Okay, hopefully he doesn't. It's dinging in my ears. Sorry. Um. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've done that as well. I've got, when I was starting out, I'd go up to RS at a show. I'm a big fan. I love your work, blah, blah, blah. And not buying anything. I just didn't think of it. Um, so I understand it. And, uh, but you know, it's, that's the, really the best way you can show that you love an artist. If you, if you can afford to, some people can't afford to either. And that's cool. And I don't mind it. You know, I'm happy to just meet the fans at these shows. It's totally cool with me. I appreciate it when they buy something. But um, like I said, I just think a lot of people don't. 
don't think of it. Um, as far as signing sketchbooks, that's another kind of weird thing. You know, it's like I do it. I signed it. I'm gracious about it. I don't say, you know, I don't say anything, but it's weird because especially if someone doesn't buy something, they're like basically saying, will you give me something for free? And I'm not willing to give you anything. I'm, I'm not willing to buy anything that you have, but I want something, you to give me something. It's kind of rude in a way, but it is kind of a custom, especially at, at, a lot, at uh, these um, conventions. So, and I don't get asked to do it that much, so I just do it. Sometimes people will do it, and then they will buy stuff from you. Like, they, they put two and two together and go, oh, this guy's giving me a free little sketch for my book, so I'm going to um, buy something from them. And that's, you know, kind of the, the way I love the most. That, that is like an equal exchange. Um, so that's my thoughts on it. At Wolfgang Robinson, how would an artist go about getting connected to your dark art society? Well, I would say the best way to do that is to join the Patreon. And you can do that by joining for as little as a dollar uh, a month at patreon.com slash darkartsociety. A dollar a month. You get the podcast one or sometimes two days early, like I did last week. Um, you get, and you get, uh, you, you know, behind the scenes photos, screen grabs of me interviewing people um, and all kinds of stuff coming in the future. I'm going to start adding, I think, maybe physical rewards and like I mentioned, pins and shirts and we're, we're just building this thing. So as it grows, there will be more uh, perks. Right now, people, I think most people, I think everybody actually who's supporting right now is really doing it just because they want to help out because we're not offering a lot in return other than the early podcast and some behind the scenes picks and uh, the Dark Art Society cooperative Facebook page, um, which is great. And that, that's turned into something kind of unique and special. And that's basically a, a closed group on Facebook where you get you gain access to if you support the Patreon. And that I see people every day are making connections meeting each other, posting pictures of their artwork, critiquing each other, doing art trading cards. It's cool. It's, and, and I'm not super active in there. I just sort of monitor it. And, I, and I'm sort of wanting to let it grow organically and develop, which is what the whole Dark Art Society is about. I feel almost like I'm just this custodian for this whole thing. And so I just make, want to make sure that nothing bad is going on, but just let it develop into what it develops into. So if you want to get connected, join us on Patreon. Okay, that was a long one. Shit, 35 minutes. Okay, that might have been too long. If it's too long, if you think it's too long, let me know. But that will just make a longer podcast. And if people like the podcast, maybe that's good. I don't know. We're just trying things out here. Um, so let's get right into it. See if there's anything else. That's it. Yeah, just uh, join the Dark Art Society Patreon. Dark Art Society. Slap Dark Arts. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Dark Art Society. You know, join if you can. 
it's only a buck. It's easy to cancel. If you're like, oh, I can't afford the dollar next month, you can you can pause it. You can pause your subscription and join again, or you can cancel it, move up on the tier, move up, donate more, donate less. It's very easy to do. Anyway, uh, it's supporting everything that we're doing, supporting the pod, uh, the podcast and the website and all the stuff we want to do in the future, helping to grow this movement. Okay, I'll shut up about it now. Okay, here we go. I hope you enjoy this interview with Harley Brown. This is episode 104. It's uh, and I will give you a little uh, tidbit. Harley jams out on the piano at one point. It's really awesome. It's a great interview, and uh, I think you're really gonna love it. So thank you, Harley, for doing it, and thank you everybody for listening. And I hope you enjoy the interview. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad. I'm glad, really glad to be here, and especially with you. Ah, I appreciate that. <laughs> now, this is—I'm kind of nervous, so you have to forgive me because you're—you're you're like a, an art god to me. So, oh, oh gosh, yeah, it's it's uh, incredible for us to have you on the the, sh the podcast. So, well, once in a while, it's nice to have uh, you know because you, as you know. Us artists are in studios, and we have no idea what the outside world thinks of us. Right. <laughs> you know, right. it, we're just hidden away. Yeah, right. Yeah, like a, up in the Arctic in a cabin, you know, that sends his stuff via bird or whatever. And uh, <laughs> and you know, under uh, unlike the people on stage, where they after the performance, the crowd stands and cheers. We don't get cheers. Right, right. Lucky to get supper. <laughs> Well, you know, that that's one good thing about uh, um, the Internet now is that we can get feedback from people po yeah. posting things and getting feedback. But um, you come from a, a totally different era in the art world. Um, I mean, you were you were make you were kind of establishing yourself in the 50s or 60s. Well, uh, the 50s was my high school, elementary high school. And then in the. Um, uh, in the 60s, the late 50s and into the 60s is when I went to art college. Mm. And uh, it, I might as well tell you now, I, yeah. was kicked, I, I was one of the very few people in all of history that was kicked out of art college. <laughs> all right. Fourth year. Fourth <laughs> really? Year. And for good reason. Why? Uh, I, yeah, well, they were kind of getting into, they were pushing us into a certain kind of art, a contemporary art that I just wasn't uh, comfortable with. Right. And, and that's when I kind of started playing around with other things, doing other things and so on. They said, there's, you know, we're going to do you a favor, Harley. We're going to let you go. Wow. And, uh, it hurt, you know. Yeah. But um, I won't go. Well, I'll, I'll tell you that I remember they actually pushed me out the door <laughs> and uh, locked it behind me. And I went out to the parking lot. Are you serious? I, that's absolutely totally true. Wow. Like a drunk in a in a bar. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, and and the reason they did was because I kept coming back. Uh, you know, they kept saying, "Well, we're not interested in, in you coming back here." And I kept saying, "Yes, I'm." Finally, they said for the final time, they said, uh, "We admire your gumption, Mister Brown, but you're out." And the and the head guy with his thumb pointed to the door, and out the door they pushed me. And with all my art supplies, and I went to the, uh, I was I went on the way to the bus, but in the parking lot, I looked up at the window of the school, 
and I saw all the kids looking out the window at me <laughs> and uh, actually seeing an artist being uh, kicked out of a art college. And then a sight that I remember. Then I became old news within seconds as they went back. I could watch them and they went back to their easels. Wow. So I was interesting for a few seconds, which is life. Right. <laughs> you know, and uh, and so off to the bus. But I, when I looked at the skyline of Calgary, when I was out there in the parking lot, I looked at the skyline and I actually said, well, it's me and you now, I said to the city. <laughs> and I said, and I swore to myself, I said, I'm not going to work for a living. Excellent. And I stuck to that. Wow. Yeah, and I and and I wonder how many of the students went on to become as successful as you. I'm sure none of them did. Not that it was their fault, but well, no, that yeah. I, the thing is, I had a hunger. There was, like they always say, there was with me. There was no plan B. Right. Never, not even talking about it yeah. or thinking about it. And uh, that's when I went down and start. I got a peddler's license for twenty bucks. I still have that, and started selling my stuff door to door for a dollar a piece. Wow. <laughs> and, and and doing portraits in, in bars and saloons. How amazing how amazing would it be to have a Harley Brown piece that you got for a dollar? Well, at a dollar a lot of them when I finished the the portrait, they would fold it up and put it in their back pocket. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for my wife to see this. And I can just see him taking it out of his back pocket the next morning. <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> I guess that's what you get for only charging a dollar. <laughs> I think you got a good point there. <laughs> wow! So you were able to make a living doing that, and, and at that well, point, had you you've kind of been trained enough to be doing well, good work. Yeah. Even before I went, you know, I I was determined to be an artist when I was seven years old. And my dad, my dear dad, he was an artist, hmm. and he brought out uh, a a picture that he had done in the '30s for my mother. Wow. And uh, and it was of Ronald Coleman, her favorite actor. And mm -hmm. I looked at that, and I said, "That's what I'm going to do the rest of my life." I have that picture in my studio. It's on the wall. Oh, cool! Yeah, I just saw it in your in the in your uh, book, uh, "Confessions of a Star Starving Artist." I was just yeah. going through it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a you great. Can't get that book except uh, I think it's secondhand or dealers oh. and that. But uh, that book, I remember saying to Carol, my wife, I said, I was starting it off and I said to her, well, how am I going to do this? Uh, I, hadn't I hadn't done the first word yet. And I was just sitting at the old fashioned typewriter, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And uh, she said, well, tell it it was the way it happened and tell the truth. Yeah. And uh, that's what happened. So, you know, a lot of. A lot of people may relate to the things that happen, you know, in the discouraging moments and right. civilization, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's a great book. I love it. I love well, it. Yeah, I'll tell you one little side note of the book. Mm -hmm. The person who's in the movie business said that that book, that they've never known of any artist that's had such a wacky life. And they said, <laughs> you should send this. And I sent it to a big uh, Hollywood corporation and uh, waited for their answer to see if they were going to do it. Right. And they got back and said, uh, your life was much too bizarre and nobody would believe right. it. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds about right. That's hilarious. <laughs> 
So, Actually, you know, I, I when I first found out about you from a friend of mine who I was working with in the in the uh, special effects industry, this guy named Mitch Devane, I've talked about many times on the show. He's probably the best sculptor in in the in the business, mm-hmm. best and most respected sculptor. Um, he really knows what he's doing. He's really really incredible, and he's incredible at doing portraits too. He can sculpt wow. anything. He can sculpt like any. He gets the perfect likeness in, in clay of mm-hmm. anyone. I mean, he, he just does it perfectly. People think that wow. that, that it's uh, – he does miniature – like minute. he used to do miniature sculptures of people, and people thought they were digital scans because they looked wow. so amazing. But anyway, this guy, he, he was real encouraging to me when I was starting to paint because I was in the film industry, and I was thinking I want to get out of the film industry and become a painter. Mm-hmm. And um, – so he was always really kind of encouraging to me, and he gave me your book. Um, uh, the what's it called? Har- Harley Brown's uh, Eternal Truths for Every Artist. Eternal Truths Truth for Every Artist. Yes. How and, to be an artist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's and uh, uh, I took that book home, and then I kept it for about three years. <laughs> wow. Because I just love this book, and and uh, I kept telling him, well, I kept, I kept forgetting to bring it back, but but it was. You know, I think subconsciously it was because I, I loved the book so much. I didn't want to let it go. And you couldn't get it back then. You, you couldn't, I couldn't find it anywhere. I was looking everywhere for it. And then I found it. it I don't know if it was reprinted or, or something, but I, I wound up getting a copy. And so then I returned it to him. But um, uh, that was where I first found out about you. Then I was online talking about that book. And mm-hmm. I think that's how your daughter found me. Somehow, like she, I think she was doing, had a Google alert for your name or something. So when it came up, she would be able to see if like a painting was selling or something. And so then she she got in touch with me about that. And then, then we just started chatting on email and you sent me that book, which is really cool of you. And, you know. Well, that's neat. So you've actually, when I tell certain things, you're ahead of me. You've read a lot of these things that uh, happened in my lifetime. You know, that one of the. Yeah, (laughs) right. And one of the eternal truths um, was uh, literally all the things that I've learned in my lifetime through great mentors and my dad and so on and so forth. So it's kind of an encapsulation of all my life into mm-hmm. in those few pages. And yeah, yeah. Well, that's why I, I – sorry about the dogs. <laughs> the, the mailman's here. <laughs> they do uh, – the the mailman's at the front door. They, this happens every time I do a podcast. It's like everybody knows that the, the dogs are going to bark at some point. But <laughs> a, anyway, th- that's what I loved about it so much because it's, you know, it's not so much like a step-by-step book. It's like it's just kind of feels like all of your knowledge in this one book, these little tips, little tidbits yeah. that, yeah. you know, you might not find in normal art books. And it really, I think, um, opened my eyes about <sighs> – what what I needed to do with my own work, you know, really kind of, especially seeing, seeing your work and the, and the way that you're able to um, create emotion and the looseness of the work and getting the essence of the character really was hugely influential on me. So I always well, recommend that book to students of mine and stuff. Well, how to get your mind worked into it and how to find a certain amount of confidence in what you're doing. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> and loving it. Yeah, you know? yeah. When you talk about your work, I mean, you nobody gets closer to that gray, eerie, 
hopeless world <laughs> with those those faces that you do are phenomenal. Uh, thank they you. Are, they are closer to the eeriness of of uh, of of a. a, a I used to have uh, gray outs. I guess they were brain seizures oh, wow. years ago. And finally, I saw a psychiatrist and he gave me a pill of Lamotrigine. Mm-hmm. And that, from that day on, the seizures went. But when I had those, it was like when I look at those faces that you do that with the eyes and the, and the nose and the mouth, it's almost like you ventured into that world. Wow. And I, nobody's come close to it. Wow. I, I was just want you to know that when I first saw, I, I know this is a mutual, you know, admiration <laughs> society, but uh, I mean, it's almost like, uh, I don't know, like you visited there and, and, and came back with these images that wow. are, I've never seen before. No, I see I a lot of that. Well, anyway, I thought I'd <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate that. You know, it's weird. I, uh, uh the guy who did that, he direct. This guy made a documentary about me, and he said that he said the same thing. He said he used to have these night, kind of these night terror dreams, where they felt mm-hmm. like super realistic. And he said he he said he when he saw my artwork, it seemed like those uh, those creatures that he encountered in these in these night terror things. You know, so I don't know. Maybe I'm, but they're I, so real that oh, it, uh, they're so real in their macabre way. That it's almost like you encountered them. You know, that's mm-hmm. that. That's how they affect me. Anyway, I'm I, I'm sorry to. Oh no, I appreciate that. That's that's an honor <laughs> to, to hear that. It's kind of blows my mind because <laughs> you know to to get your approval is a big a big deal. Oh, um, yeah. So okay, so you, you went door to door. You went door to door just to random people's yep. homes. Headler's license, and I went, uh, and I had a big folder, and I knocked on doors, and uh, and I went to about 35, 40 doors before the first person, they would slam them on my face and so on, <laughs> but I was determined, <laughs> when you're determined. Yeah, that's, yeah, uh, determination is finally, huge. there was one lady had me do a portrait of her kid, mm-hmm. uh, a profile for a dollar, so I went in and did it, but that was the beauty of it. Then her neighbors saw that, and then mm. it kind of went from there. But I still, you know, I continued uh, doing the door-to-door thing. But, you know, it it was just a dedication to, to going ahead and saying, okay, uh, everybody else can talk about it, but I'm going to do it. And I know that at the time, times have changed now, but at the time, doing figures and portraits was almost doing portraits like I did, and they'd always the people in the art world say, "Well, if that's photographs can do it, why are right, you doing right. it? anybody can do it?" And they were into the um, Jackson Pollock thing and, mm-hmm. and so on and Rothko. And what I was doing was uh, I wasn't uh, digging deeper, and and, and they had, so in a way, not only did I kicked out of school, but in the art community, I. We have since made up, incidentally, may, may I say. Okay. <laughs> um, same art school, I went back and I praised them and I did all sorts of things with them and so on. So, wow. you know, it's like a, a cousin or an uncle that you never liked, but finally the day comes yeah. and you say, okay, let's drop it all. And, like a family fight. <laughs> yeah, and let's find some things that we can get along. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, I guess at that time, the style of painting that you were doing was not in vogue. And, um, you know, I, I feel like 
as someone who, even though I'm painting monsters, it's still, you know, representational figurative kind of work. And, um, you know, we're just kind of still coming out of that, you know, like, like finally portraits are, are and, and, you know, not representational work. It's finally becoming, coming back around again, at least in the, in the art world as I know it, but that whole, you know, Jackson Pollock and abstract expressionists yeah. that, you know, kind of dominated for a long time. Goodness. Yeah, right. absolutely. Well, the thing is that, and I look at portraits, it's not like a photograph. I look at as what you do and you take a, a, several steps further interpretation. Right. And, you know, and people used to laugh at Norman Rockwell until Steven Spielberg and George Lucas started buying his stuff. And all of us, it's like, right, yeah. Was it uh, Mario Lanza? They used to laugh at his ah until uh, was it Placido Domingo uh, admired it. So, and all of a sudden, uh, Mario Lanza is big. He used to be right. in the movies and that kind of thing. And uh, the same with uh, Rockwell. I've always loved his uh, work. Rockwell's amazing, isn't he? But you look at—he's uh, a perfect example. They'll, in some of his books, you look at a photograph, and you see his interpretation of that photograph quite different. Right. It's—it's—he's on top of it. It'd be like uh, Richard Burton doing Hamlet. The words are all in front of him, but how he interprets it. So right. that'd be the same with uh, how you and I interpret real life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> we push to, to our own satisfaction. Yeah, and it's—you know—it's—it's it's better than a photograph. It's more than a photograph, you know. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, f- photography can be in, an art form in itself, but you, it, there's something about a painting, especially a portrait, that's that's really well done, that captures emotion. It kind of captures something that, you know, there's a really a piece of the artist in there because you're touching it and you have this relationship with this piece that's in front of you, and it's yeah, it's this kind of spiritual thing almost, you know. Well, portraits are tough, and let me add. Sore hands, <laughs> and, you know, and uh, and I remember when I was starting out way way back. I said, "Now start studying those hands because, you know, sometimes when you look at a Rembrandt, you'll see how he kind of uh, he, he could do hands, but oftentimes uh, you could see where he said, "Oh my God, you know, mm. he shoved them aside, sort of in a way, <laughs> and just put in a couple couple of little strokes for the fingers." Right. Uh, a, a lot of uh, artists. Uh, we're unable to do hands and they have to be done not in the great details that you see, but in the same kind of uh, overpowering fashion that the portraiture and the folds and the, in right. the, the fold, the, what do you put in details? You don't put every fold in right? and you don't put every hair in. Mm-hmm. It's what you leave out and put in and so on. And it's the same with hands. And I used to have greatest fun as I got more confident with hands, as to make them part of the personality. Mm. And uh, not just the face, but, you know, just the tip of the shoulder, the where the head was turned. Yeah, uh, the, even that in the painting behind you, o- over your shoulder. You, oh. it's, you could see that, the hands, and, yeah. and, the sh- and the shoulder, and the look to the side. I mean, that, that conveys so much than just... A portrait of someone, you know that absolutely. That it, it, yeah, and it does. It, it it shows a lot, and the beauty is, and often in a if a if a painting is done right, and you know this is that uh, a a painting I think has to be 
interesting the second and third and fourth and fifth and tenth time you see it. Mm, yeah. And, and sometimes dig a little more out of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, ooh, like I've always with a Rembrandt when I'm looking, he was my first favorite. My dad was my favorite artist in Rembrandt. Mm-hmm. And every time I'd look at that Rembrandt, man, I'd say, God, how did I miss that? Right. And great works have that way about them. It's like you can watch uh, certain movies on right. the water. And, uh, you know, I can think of a lot of movies that I wouldn't mind seeing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Groundhog Day. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I just watched that again recently. Did you? Yeah, it's great. I think it's a mess. I love that movie. Uh, It's in the same could be said for music, especially, too. That's, uh, you know, the really good stuff. I find myself stopping what I'm doing and listening because, you know, it's so good. You've listened to it a bunch of times and you and you're. You're, you're listening for more, and then mm-hmm. you can catch little new pieces that you haven't oh, heard before, and it's it's such an amazing experience when that happens. Well, as you probably saw when you're reading the book that I got involved with music, too, and there was a period right, in yeah. my... You're, well, a, I, you're a great piano player. Well... Uh, uh, I've seen videos. You're a great piano player. <laughs> Your daughter sent me videos. You're amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, well, I used to play in a little group and i there was a moment there in my life when i thought okay i want to be a pianist mm-hmm. and that was for a few you know maybe a short while in fact i played the piano i don't know if i if you knew this i played piano in a brothel <laughs> no i didn't know that <laughs> well i did it was, i i got there by just good fortune there was a guy looking for a pianist and a group and we had a trio yeah. and I was so young and innocent at the time that I really wasn't sure what it was. It just had a lot of girls in it. <laughs> you know, we, we there was no there were movies. There was somehow we weren't as and I don't know if the word sophistication. Uh, I don't know if we were as grounded then as we are now with the real life. Right. But um, I just had a lot of girls. They used to sit around the piano and sit beside me on the piano stool or a seat. And, uh, oh, play St. Louis Woman, you know, mm-hmm. and I'd play it and, and so on. And Sounds like a great job. <laughs> well, they'd be back the next night, and I thought, wow, I must have been a hit the night before. Uh, you know, they came every night. and uh, <laughs> But it was great fun. And uh, Was it jazz, kind of playing jazz? We play a little bit of jazz, yeah. Mm-hmm. Kind of, uh, and, and, and kind of. I got a piano here that they left in the house. And uh, uh, have you ever heard me play? I've seen videos. I've seen a couple of videos of you playing. Um, what, should I? Yeah, should I yeah. You should there? play something real quick. That's yeah, be great. real quick. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now let's see if this will. You can leave. You can probably leave that there if you want. Well, okay. I'll, uh, I'll just. I'll leave it. Okay. Oh, cool, we, cool. Can you still see me? Yes, I got to get a picture of this too. Go, yeah, oh. go ahead. <laughs> a trap. Then I used to play, uh, you know. You know, and then uh, oh, and the girls would love it when I
Amazing. <laughs> That's so great. That's so great. That's excellent. Yeah, your uh your daughter told me that you took take breaks from painting by playing the oh. piano. Oh, absolutely. I'd go up and play the piano mm -hmm. and and uh have a heck of a time and then uh, maybe write a few notes of, uh, you know, for a book or whatever. Mm -hmm. I always have some little thing creeping in my head. Uh, right. <laughs> and I better write it, write it down. Right. I've, I got endless uh, scribbles. Yeah, same here. I actually do the same thing, too, with music because I play guitar. I used to be uh -huh. in bands. That Before I be, became a painter, I was trying to make it in a band as well. And, you um, know, that's a good point that you're saying, that I'm wondering if with certain people... Uh, in many ways, I'm an idiot savant in factual things and numbers mm. and, and yeah. that. Nothing. <laughs> but the same, but in music and art, uh, just a natural. In fact, in arts, in in school, high school, they used to, they knew that I was never destined for anything outside art and music. And so, once in a while, every in that afternoon, the teachers would put their money together and send me off to a movie, uh, rather than stay in school. Really. They just, that yeah, wow. so they really go out there. But only if it was a good movie with a music in it or art or something, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, so, if only people understood the fifties. I think that's a very misunderstood era. Yeah, well, you know, all all the people my age and younger know of the fifties because I was I was born in sixty seven. So mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I don't have any firsthand experience from really the 60s or the 50s, and it's everything we know is from the movies. Well, the, a lot of people look at the 50s as being very drab. You know, went to school, you did everything right, right three meals a day, church. And Conformist. Then you, That's and, and on a Sunday, you go to the right. park and have a picnic. Yeah, <laughs> I can tell you, if, uh, if I had to do it all over again, the 50s would be the time I'd want to be raised and raise my kids. Really? <laughs> <laughs> the 50s Wait. you really learn a lot and you learn a lot of uh what it is it it, it makes you solid as a human mm -hmm. and uh with uh, the way the people were I, I i don't want to get into too much of the philosophy of it but right after when i was going to art school and that then came the uh Young experimental age of uh, then drugs, of course. Yeah. Uh, I remember the Beatles got in yeah. uh, the '64. Loved their music. Oh yeah. And it started. Things started falling apart in the '70s and so on. Mm -hmm. But they all thought they were being very advanced. Right. And the culture, the drug culture, and so on. They thought with the music and the art and the, all of the culture, they thought they were being very advanced. Oh, we're we're taking off. Yeah, they and went they went too far and lost the, lost their grounding and destroyed themselves. Really, it yeah. all fell apart. You know, true enough. Um, where did you grow up in the fifties? Well, uh, the fifties was it was the absolute to me the perfect place. Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, Canada. Wow, <laughs> Moose Jaw. Place called Moose Jaw. Yeah, and 
and I've known a lot of people from that city, and every I would say the vast majority of them did pretty darn good. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, they all got married, got good jobs. They have a wonderfully active, full, full life. Right. Almost all of them. Uh, but Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. And, uh, the, and that was when I remember there was good and there was not so good. Mm-hmm. There was, the gray areas were less. Uh, well, what you, do you mean? What are you talking about specifically? Well, uh, there was no no subtleties. Like you get your homework done, you get over. You're supposed to get over seventy percent. You get in uh, for supper at a certain time. You're off to bed at uh, nine thirty or ten or whatever. Mm-hmm. You're up in the morning at a certain. When you go to school, I got the strap three times. Once for being in late after recess. Uh, once for talking, and uh, I shouldn't have been yelling and talking. Mm-hmm. And the third time was when I was going to shoot a wad with an elastic band, shoot a wad at a friend of mine. And just as I was shooting the wad, the teacher came up and I got her in the butt. And, and so she grabbed me by the ear and off to the cloakroom and whap. Wow. <laughs> now, incidentally, I never was late uh, again. Right. I never talked in the class and I didn't shoot Right. <laughs> So this is a small town, it sounds like. Yeah, 25,000 people. Oh, okay. It was a, just an ideal place. And, you know, the, 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 that was elementary school, King George School, and then the Central Collegiate High School. It was a, a perfect place. And that's where I was drawing all the time. Mm. But drawing most of the time, and that's when the teachers saw me. You know, they teach you all sorts of things, a history and that. But, and I was in there with my sketch pad, drawing faces of all the students and the teacher and so on. And then I'd try to hide it, but they knew. <laughs> and, uh, and after school, uh, after I delivered the papers uh, to the neighborhood, um, I would be drawing all the time, sometimes playing the piano till one. Or two, well, my parents had to drag me away from the piano and put wow. me in. to bed. So it was a it was pretty active life. I was, although I want to tell you this, Chet. I was extremely shy, extremely. Yeah, shy. Me too. I was very, Same. very shy. Yeah, I was the most. I'm the, I was the most shy person I knew. Like well, it was painful. You and I understand each other. <laughs> but my shyness went away into a phony period in one day. It took one day for me to lose my shyness. Wow. Okay. And I kept that outward guy for about 15 years how'd you do that in one day what did you in do one day, yeah. well I, I told a friend of mine a good friend of mine i never told anybody when i was in art school i never told anybody that i played the piano and i told a friend of mine and he told he i said don't tell anybody mm-hmm. well he couldn't wait to tell his friends and so the next day at the lunch in the cafeteria at the school they all came around the table where I was sitting and said, we hear you play the piano. And they dragged me over to the piano at the side of the room. I was sitting by myself, you know, shy and all that. Mm-hmm. And they dragged me over to the piano and they said, well, come on, you hear you play the piano, sit down. So I started, you know, playing a couple of little things and so on. And so forth. then I got into it. I could just because people were starting to circle around the piano mm-hmm. and the girls. And the first time I think I was ever noticed by a girl was <laughs> then and there at yeah. the piano. And they kind of, hey, Harley, that's great. <laughs> you know, and I play all sorts of pieces of the Bumble Boogie and so on. Well, by God, that 
to afternoon, they said, hey, uh, let's go to the bar. And I think I was still too young, but those days you could still sneak in. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Must be another like, delivery. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I don't I want to. <laughs> I don't want to interrupt. Once upon a time, and uh, <laughs> where I used to live in Tucson, we had twelve dogs at one time. Okay, so okay, so you, you know my pain. Totally. totally. <laughs> but anyway, that uh, I'd never drank before, but I was the first time I was ever noticed was at the piano. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of us went over there, and I had my first beer, and I and well, Harley, tell us about yourself. Yeah, well, I. Uh, then I'd have a second beer and a third beer. And by God, in a while, I was kind of, hey, man, you know, <laughs> and everything I said they thought was great and fun, <laughs> but they were drinking too. Right. So I said, this is my life. This is my new. And so there was hardly a time I wasn't drinking and oh, wow. raising hell. And, uh, and so that went on for 15 years. And then and one day I quit. Mm. And that was for a reason. Uh I had one man show. I had a one man show. And the next day, somebody phoned up and said, hey, Harley, you did great at the show. Tell us about it. And I said, well, what are you talking about? What show? Because I was drunk. Oh, my God. Wow. And, uh, and I didn't know I was at an art show. That, you must have been really drunk. Yeah. And wow. I said, what are you talking about? And they said, well, the show left. Oh, what? So I said there was people in the room when I was talking. I said, I'm going to have this one drink, and that's it. It was a bourbon. I filled oh. up the glass. I had the bourbon, and that was the final drink. And wow. that was, uh, what, 45 years ago? I don't know, what, uh, when I was about 35, I think. Wow, wow. And that final, was it? You just quit that? Final drink. Wow. And, the car, and here's the best part. I went back to my shyness. Oh, really? I'd go to parties. Interesting. They'd, you know, and, and they'd find out that, God, Hey, and I'd sit and drink half coffee, and all of a sudden, uh, they were noticing that I didn't have much to say, <laughs> as I usually did when I was drinking. Right. And so I was, uh, I was disowned in a way by my old art pals, uh, who found out that Harley's actually quite a bore. <laughs> but that gave me a lot of time. That was perfect because I had much time to start developing my art. Mm. And uh, I really got into it then because I had all the evenings. I was uh, by myself in the evenings and uh, able to do my art. And it was strange that at that time, it's almost like the angels saw what was going on. And they sent some of my great heroes in art into my life uh, to give me critiques and so on. And and and. They helped me on my way and got me involved with the big art societies in uh, uh, that I'd always wanted to be in. And these these people that got a hold of me were people that I had seen in galleries and so on. And they'd happen. One of them happened to see one of my pictures in a gallery in some back street in in a town. And by accident, he saw one of my pictures because he hadn't didn't want to go down that street, but he happened and saw this picture. Hmm. Couldn't wait to phone me up and said he wanted me to be a member of this uh, big art group. Wow. He said, uh, he said, I just happened to see one of your pictures, Mr. Brown. And I knew his name. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was Bob Lockheed. And uh, and he had uh, been one of my idols for many years. When he phoned up, I stood up like it was a sergeant. You know? <laughs> and, uh, yes, Mr. Lockheed, sir. And... Uh, and so that was one of the things that happened. That's you know, one, that was one of your big breaks, kind of? Oh, a, a break beyond 
and and we used to then he said look at what we do we're going to the okanagan in the fall a bunch of us artists he says i want you to come we're going to paint animals from life and so for several years i did that wow and went out and draw drew animals from life and that's when i got my first adult real critique uh-huh. I, I had done a a mule deer and uh, he and I thought, well, he's going to love this. This is my first day out there. How, what, how old were you at this point? Oh, what thirty mid thirties in okay. there somewhere, and uh, and he came by and I thought he's going to love this. He's going to probably want me to tell him how to do it, <laughs> you know, because my ego, yeah, you know. Right. And uh, he came by and he said, "Well, can I have a few words about this?" And I thought, "Whoa!" So he gave me a critique that was the limit uh, <laughs> and and he said now work these shadows out so that there's shapes more don't try to be realistic too you can be realistic but start to use what nature gives you and kind of make it into a real sauce that uh, is visually uh, you know dramatic mm-hmm. and he started showing me how to do that but i was at the t- as i was watching this i was thinking my god He's 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 it's like telling you a personality. I just don't like the way you're acting. <laughs> and so when he was finished, I he said, "Well, if you want to, I'll come back sometime and show you some more." So he left, and I had to go behind. I was just about ready to cry. Uh-huh. That night, I remember flopping on the motel bed, thinking that I'm leaving tomorrow. I don't need this. Wow. Well, the next day, I. I got up and I couldn't, something in my brain, I could not wait to get back into the field and draw some animals and have him give me more. And he did. Yeah. And all of us, there was, we, there was a whole pile of us and we learned more, you know, than you, you, you could really believe. A lot of it I put into my book, mm-hmm. but, uh, so that's the things that were happening. That's when I was, uh, off of my drinking mm-hmm. and, and uh, and had well turned my life around in, yeah, in, sounds, in some ways. Sounds like that. There, there's a big ex- episode. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> a 15 year episode of my life. Right. Yeah, that makes sense that you would come out of that shy because you know you're you know you you do well speaking now. You're not shy as shy now. So. That's because well, you're you're able to develop that. Well, chat, chat but when you're your drinking, brain. you know, it's it's you can't develop those emotions. It know? was a, it was a fake uh, sort right. of thing that I was doing during the drinking, but the shyness began to disappear as I got more confidence mm-hmm. in myself, and the confidence came through my art and through meeting these people in art. But I remember my first big art gathering that uh, this Bob Lockheed invited me to the NAWA, the National Academy of Western Art. And that was my first big meeting with some of the great big illustrators Mm -hmm. of the 40s and 50s who are members. And uh, I got to meet them. But I remember I was absolutely shaking with fear Really, to, to, to meet these people. Uh, and Tom Lovell, Bettina Stanky, uh, some of the people that throughout my life I had uh, seen their art in Saturday Evening Post and so on, I was getting to meet them. And I was just just shaking with fear. <laughs> you know, but I got to meet them. They were normal people. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's how I dealt with 
my shyness was just doing it anyway. No matter how scared you are, you just do it. And then when yeah, you, do. you do it enough times, you stop being as, as shy and nervous about it. You know, Absolutely true. Absolutely. And, you know, it's funny how people, if you do what you love doing, I think anybody listening, if you if you love what you're doing, somehow that uh, brings a certain boldness into your life that you're and and I got to a point where I didn't care if I was being accepted. Mm-hmm. Too much of us uh, people are well. I don't know if they'll like me if I do this or that. And I'm not trying to be intrusive or anything or being a. I'm just saying that uh, that uh, you have to have a certain. Uh, I don't know if it is confidence in yourself, and right. uh, and uh, I started, and I but I earned it. <laughs> right? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, when, when it's when it's well earned, you can accept it. I think you can. You can accept it. You can accept it. Um, I always felt like, even when I was a kid, though, that was the one the one thing that kept me that where I was able to overcome my shyness was through my artwork. Like if I was if I was um, like if I would, or actually wearing, okay, <laughs> if I, I wasn't afraid to show my artwork around because I felt like it was good, even as a little kid. So, sure. you know, but as I got older or, you know, probably still a little kid, probably nine, 10 years old, I used to wear Halloween masks. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I put that mask on and <laughs> pretended to be a monster, I could do anything. And I just completely uh-huh. lost my shyness. It was so weird. That's perfect. Yeah, it's a totally. It really is perfect. <laughs> you get into a kind of a character, right? And uh, like it's a way to and cope. You, you don't mind winging it, right? Right. And it's funny how it how it developed into a career in the film industry. It's like this 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 was this huge coping mechanism I had to deal with my own anxiety and shyness, and it ended up develop, developing into a film career, and then it spilled over into my the monster stuff I paint now. It's just interesting how that how that kind of thing develops over time. Absolutely. Underst- I understand you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I used to, I used to wear masks to the grocery store with my mom when I was really little. <laughs> it's still perfect. I know. It's too funny. <laughs> okay. So, so um, what's, what was the name of the school you went to? Well, the elementary school is King George and then central collegiate, but the co- college, the Alberta college of art, that was the, uh, Alberta that was College the art, art school. That's the one and, I kicked you out. Uh, but they, and, yeah, but they were absolutely right. And, and I, I went later and I said they did me the best favor. Yeah, that's true, they, you know. That's, they did me a favor because we weren't connecting. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but I guess they could have done it a little more nicely. But it, but if you wouldn't leave, I understand well, that they put that's you. That's it. No, I wouldn't. I, I, I kept coming back and back. And finally, they, they, they out the door. It'd be like a drunk coming or a guy right. get out of hand in a saloon. And finally they say, look, we've had enough of you, Joe. You're out of here. <laughs> and don't you dare come back. And, you know, right. I, I guess that's the way they want it. <laughs> so, so you, um, you, you got into this, uh, group of artists and did, did you start, were you able to sell work and get in shows from that? Cause that, this is like a different, really a, a different, um, kind of a different, art scene that exists now for I think people of you know my era. So it's interesting to hear how they how a career like that develops in those times. Well it absolutely right. Um it was a different art Western art, which is what I was involved with. I was painting portraits of native mm-hmm. 
people and First Nation, and the uh, that was because I lived close to them in Calgary. Mm. Uh, I used to just draw them because I loved to to do it. Right. And uh, and I would do cowboys and you know things western because yeah, that was yeah. life. Calgary Stampede. Mm-hmm. And so. And uh, and so that's how it all started. And then I became a member of the uh, eventually later Cowboy Artists of America. But uh, you know some of my great here, like I say, some of my great heroes were. And then in time. Oh, back in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, some of them we became pals. We used to go off to Russia or the Caribbean or Spain together. Mm-hmm. There was a, We called them this, the Tucson Seven. The, there were seven of us. Howard Turpening, who's, who God, he did the uh, My Fair Lady, or mm-hmm. uh, not My Fair Lady, but uh, uh, The Sound of Music, uh, Dr. Zhivago, Lawrence yeah. You know, he did a lot of and the, the um, you know, just so many of them. And uh, but he was the bunch of us used to get together. Bob Coon, one of the great animal artists, and Ken Riley. A lot of his stuff I saw in Saturday Evening Post. Tom Hill, Don Crowley, Dick Briers, and myself. There was a seven of us, and we used to travel around together. I was the kid at mm-hmm. the time. Uh, of them, and I was the one of them that never went into the illustration world. Oh, wow. All of these guys were doing movie posters or Saturday evening posts and so on, And uh, but they kind of said, welcome me into their circle, and we just had a lot of great times. It sounds like uh, it was so fun. I bet it was yeah, a great oh, time in your life. Uh, totally totally great time getting some of them have gone but sorry oh no just getting getting into that scene that you that you admired and then having all these friends and traveling and that must have been oh, the best it was absolutely <laughs> the best and you know you go through periods of life you know there was a time if you want to talk to about an eccentric i think there's certain things about me i'll i'll give you one thing about me that i don't know if anybody in all of history can top this one. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Sounds I good. had collected over my life about th- more than 3,000 books. I'd say 3,500 books wow. in my lifetime. Okay. Now that's, yeah, a lot of people have done that. Mm-hmm. Now here's the part that you're going to say, just to hold it a second, buddy. <laughs> I have read two books in my life. What are the two books? Well, the two books were On the Road, Jack Kerouac. Oh, and that yeah. That's a was an art school, and that's that was just one. perfect. Mm-hmm. And the other one was Ayn Rand's The Fountainhead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Of being an individual. Right, right. Those are the only two books I've ever read. The, uh, and now I just, God, two years ago or a year ago, I sold all 3,000 books. And I've kept a few of them. Now, here's a part also to add to that okay. <laughs> Guinness Book of World Records. I have not read my own books. Oh, really? <laughs> I sent in the, you know, the whatever, the what I wrote, the script, whatever you call it. I sent that in. And since the book has been out, I never opened a page. Wow. I put, I'll flip through it or something. Right, right. Look at the picture. But I've never read them. So the two books still holds. So you don't like reading, I guess. Well, <laughs> Why did you only read next, two books? I never thought of it that way. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you, you must I'll look at pictures in a book. But, all right. Sorry. But I mean, you must not really enjoy reading that much, I imagine, right? 
I'll read a, maybe a column in a newspaper, but I think you've, I've never thought of, but there may be something, I think it could have been from school when I hated reading history. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And so on, and learning dates and so on. So I think you got a good point there that, <laughs> uh, that words uh just not my cup of tea <laughs> well yeah i've that is, that's a pretty good one okay that that is a really you, you unusual put, yeah <laughs> i've never heard anything like that the question is why did you keep buying the books <laughs> that's the sick part <laughs> uh, and something i'm sure that one day if i go to a psychiatrist he'll answer that for me and i'll thank him and leave the room knowing that Oh, so that's the reason. <laughs> Did you like? Were you thinking you were going to read them at some point, or were you just? I don't know what it was. And you know, people that I'm, I'm both paranoid. I am a very paranoid person and uh, compulsive. Mm-hmm. And uh, the compulsive part was that I'll look at a book in a bookstore and say, "I gotta have right. that." Yeah, I can relate. And so I think that was work. And then I bring it home and put it in the bookshelf. <laughs> Now, I'm sure a psychiatrist listening to this right. saying, I know exactly what's wrong with him. I mean, I do that now, but I, I do. I used to read a lot when I was a kid, and I love reading. And I buy them, and I plan on getting to them, but I never do because I'm always, you know, busy working. But that's a different story, I think. No, but you know, Len, you've, but you've explained a little bit of mine yet that I thought, well, one day, you know. Right, well, right. It's like people, I think that people who, uh, what do they call those people that keep stuff in their houses and they, uh, hoarding? Hoarders, yeah. Hoarders. Uh They say, oh, well, I'll use that one day, you you know, don't throw that out. Right. (laughs) So you finally, you you made it to your golden years, the time when you're going to finally read the books and then you just sold all the books. Oh, got rid of them all. (laughs) And it felt like a, a weight off my back. Really? Yeah, that's a lot really, of books. Really did. It was a it, the time had come. I do still have some. Mm-hmm. They were one. There were ones now that I have are well ones that I just couldn't get rid of. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that is too funny. <laughs> what can I say? Well, you uh, maybe you should read those ones. Uh, I'll let you know. I'll let you know. <laughs> I mean, I guess if you're painting and you play music and, you know, you I know you enjoy movies. It's, you, oh, know, yeah. you know what you like. Um, and that that's one thing I wanted to ask you about is uh, when I first was talking to your daughter, when she got in contact with me, she, um, you know, because I, I was I was a little thinking, oh, he's not Harley's not going to like my work because it's these monsters. And 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 then um she told me, oh, he loves movies and he loves horror movies. We used to watch horror movies. And I know you like a lot of old movies and uh, oh, yeah. even horror movies and stuff. And, and it's like, that's, that was such an interesting tidbit about you, I thought. Well, I walked with a zombie. I, you know, there's yep. some, uh, Frank, uh, uh, having me, Frank. Is oh, like, yeah. Classic. That, that one, that one, they meet Frank. That one scared me for months. Yeah, <laughs> it did, and I know it's a comedy in ways, but in many ways, they, it, those were really good. The, actually, yeah. those Abbott and Costello movies, as horror films, the sets were amazing, and the yeah. everything looked great. The makeups were really good. Yeah, so I could understand yeah. that. Was it Glenn Strange? I yeah, think. Glenn Strange was. 
you know, I, I love the Glenn Strange Frankenstein. He's really got a great face. <laughs> He's perfect. Yeah, he is. But, I mean, all of those, like, you know, uh, all of the, the Dracula movies mm-hmm. and some, even the silent ones, but they all have a certain thing. Now, I know that it's quite a different world, the uh, films and the uh, the ones that are horror, so-called right. horror movies, have a total different atmosphere. And, of course, they have the superhumans now and so mm-hmm. on. I, I can tell you that I've never seen one superhuman movie of the last 20, 30 years. And not because I don't want to or anything. I just haven't bothered. But, right. uh, uh, you know, I'm of the old Kirk Douglas, uh, John Wayne mm-hmm. era of uh, of oftentimes to me, the hero was more important than the story. Right. And it's uh, on the waterfront, uh, Marlon Brando. Yeah. Uh, all of those people. I love now, those old movies. I've great stuff. Great stuff. I, I, always, I always go back to the old ones. You know, I always go back to old films and um, even the, even the, <clears throat> I really like like the Technicolor stuff from the fifties. Oh, wow. I just, there's, I just love the way those films look. They have such Isn't a feeling. Something? Yeah. The colors are so incredible. Even the musicals. Yeah. Oh yeah. They're great. That's the only, <laughs> yeah, the only way I watch musicals is the, are those old ones in Technicolor. Oh God. Yeah. I love that stuff. It's weird. I don't know why, because it's not, I don't have a, you know, a personal con- connection to it. I've always just aesthetically as not when I was younger, I never liked that stuff. It really, um, it wasn't until I became, you know, probably, probably until I was like 40 years old that I started looking back at all these old, old kind of classic films and realizing sure. how great they were, you know, you've certain, I think that's interesting that you, uh, as time goes on, it's funny how the mind and the, uh, how we start to appreciate certain right. things that we never did uh, have the time for. Mm-hmm. And now I look at, I want to tell you this, Chet, I am a totally different person than I used to be. Right. If you'd known me when I was 45 years old, mm. you would see a totally different, you were looking at me on the screen there talking away. You would have seen a different guy. Really? Together, yeah. So I went through three stages. I went through my young stage until I was 19. Mm-hmm. Uh, shy, studious, this and that. A, g- a good guy. Mm-hmm. And then from uh, in my mid-period, I kind of transcended into the mid-period, which was totally, people that knew me then, totally wild. I had long hair. I bought... I bought a suit. Really? Oh, long hair. Bought a suit that was red. I wanted people to see me the minute I walked into a room. Wow. I had a red suit with a paisley tie, white shoes. Wow. <laughs> I needed cool. to be seen. I and, right. I and I remember being in New York going to the Art Students League for a short while. I remember seeing people interviewed. And so I'd walk on the street for news. And I'd walk down the street hoping they'd grab me to talk about whatever it was that they, you right. know, in front of a camera, <laughs> on the stage. Oh, please invite me up on stage and interview, you know. Uh-huh. Now, I've gone back to my early period where I'm very quiet now. An exciting day is going down and looking for different types of bread at, this, at the right. uh, <laughs> grocery store. <laughs> if I want 12 grain bread or, you know. <laughs> Well, that's, you know, that is, that's very, it's a very, a, a very Zen kind of thing where it's like the the life is about learning as much as you can and then unlearning it to, to where you, you, you get back to where you were as a child, 
but you you have that knowledge. When we, yeah, you have the knowledge and your certain naturalness about right, you. Right, right. You become natural, and I'm not. If I bore somebody, that's their problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, I, I always say the the great one of the great things about um, getting older is you just don't care what people think of you as much. You right. Know, and that is really a relief. And I'm I'm with you there. I don't go to my way to be obnoxious. Right. I just I just try, I don't try uh, to be interesting. Right. <laughs> if it, if it's an interesting moment, that's fine. If it's not, well, yeah. so be it. <laughs> I think we earned that right. Yeah, yeah. Age, age gives us that right. right. You're you're young, so uh, the day will come when you understand what Harley's talking right. about. Right. <laughs> I kind I I feel I'm 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 a little older than I look, but I but I but I I know what you're saying, and I and I'm sure. It's a it's a different ball game, but I do feel uh, an inkling of that, you know. Uh-huh. Just just sure. the old the older I get, the less I'm concerned I am about impressing people. Well, I have uh, I I think you said the, I think you said it perfectly in impressing people that you get to a point where you have enough confidence in what you're doing that uh, they're impressed or they're not impressed. Yeah. But uh, you don't have to go out of your way uh, to uh, to let them think that you're right. uh, more impressive than you are. I, my hope is that after all of this time, what I've done, you know, and people can look in the books or whatever, uh, that let it speak for itself. Yeah, and I'll just sit in the corner and happily. I have five kids. There's like uh, Laurie, you know, mm-hmm. and Michael, who's a very bright guy. He's he's uh, he lives down east, and he's got a brain. And he's starting to draw now. After all these years, he's starting to draw pictures. Oh, cool! And he's the same age as you. Mm-hmm. They are in their fifties, mm-hmm. uh, early fifties. And uh, and I have the the others. There's uh, oh, I have people that uh, like Kelly and Tim. They're uh, I'm trying to think of their age. They're in their fifties, mm-hmm. and Pat, you know, and they're kind of mixed around uh, uh, in Montana, in California. But they're all, like I say, in their fifties. Mm-hmm. And I look at them and think, now I understand in a certain way of what they're going through. But they have totally different lives. Mm-hmm. You and I are in the arts. Uh, these. Uh, when I look at young people, and I, young people, as far as I'm concerned, are in their 50s. Okay. If I was, hey, let me put it this way. If I was to be, if some angel came and said, Harley, uh, I think you've earned the right. I'm going to let you be for the next 50 years. I'm going to give you 50 years. What age would you like to be? And I'd say, I want to be 47 years old for the next 50. Uh-huh. Could you do that? And the angel said, it's done. And so I can have the same mind and the same uh, uh, physical energy and so on mm-hmm. that I was for, for when I was 47. To me, that was a perfect time. Wow. And uh, so you're, you're in a, in a, actually, you're around a, a, a beautiful time of life. Okay. That's good. That makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's. That's interesting. That's you know, my dad. My dad was a painter. I don't know if I ever told you that. My dad was a, a really great painter. He kind of 
He he did a. Did I send you my book, my art yeah, book? Yeah, I got it. There's a yep. section in the back um, of my dad's work, and he he's he went through uh-huh. a period yeah. where he did uh, Western yeah. art, Native American uh, portraiture. You know, similar to you in the sense that it was port Native American portraiture. Uh, mm-hmm. di- kind of a different style, though. He was more of a, a I think, a tighter painter, rent, more of a renderer mm-hmm. from a, the illustration background. But um, he told me that he didn't really feel like he knew what he was really doing painting until he was 50. Like he, I, he finally felt like he got it, you know, after. And that was painting since he was like 20. Well, there you are. You he, know, <laughs> he came to a great point of understanding himself. Right, right. So he kind of felt like that was his his peak as far as being an artist. You know, was fifty. It was like I, but, he felt like he he kind of could do anything he wanted with the paint. When you say peak, a peak can last for many years. Right. Yeah. I hope so. You I know? hope it does. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Peak isn't just a one spurty right. spurt in your. Life and and you know yourself with many artists, many writers, actors, and so on. Uh, you know Gary Cooper when he was a young, young, young guy was phenomenal, and then he got older and older and older, and he still he he changed in in certain ways, but he still remained that great character, mm-hmm. uh, very uh, uh, enigmatic, uh, charisma. You know, like all of them, right? And God, you know, I had the great good fortune of uh, uh, doing art just for fun, teaching art at, at an, one of the retirement homes of the actors. Mm-hmm. And I met a number of them there, and they were much older, but they had that same, they were old, you know, it's, you know, when you're 80, you're not quite that young uh, person when you're in your 20s, but they right. still had that certain wonderful thing about them mm-hmm. and I used to love and sit and, and chat with them uh, about their lives and so on uh you know and and i've decided myself that i'm sure not going to retire and hang up uh you know my easel i still drew pictures i do portraits now i, I write international artists i write uh, articles with them international artists oh cool uh, uh, I'm, I'm still, I don't play the piano. I have to tell you that. Oh, really? When I played the piano there, I'll play maybe three times a year. Oh, and okay. It's happy birthday over the phone for somebody. <laughs> but I have oddly enough, and there's probably that same psychiatrist going to tell me why I don't play the piano anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I just don't, I walk by it and not even want to play a note. Well, I think you're satisfied with your life. It sounds like you're satisfied with what you're doing. You don't need to add something new to it. Or something else to it, you know what I mean? Absolutely, I think you said it. Uh, I think there's no little things to be filled, no right. hopes and dreams that I've, uh, you know. In fact, uh, I've got plenty right now of dreams that I'm fulfilling all the time. Mm. In the time, Carol and I, you know, uh, my wife Carol and I, we're we're out. Uh, we'll take a a ride to some grocery store or some shopping center or anywhere. Or, or walk along the Pacific Ocean here mm-hmm. and uh, and just love that and see people wave to them and maybe get a, a piece of fish and sit down there. You know, it's a it's a wonderful life, and I don't need to have a bunch of people around me to right. to, to impress. Yeah. Now I'm very much uh, 
the other way that I kind of like if I go into a if there's a party, I like to sit at the side Mm-hmm. Tape somewhere and and kind of disappear. Yeah. <laughs> In fact, I my clothes that I wear right now. This is a sweater, but the, generally I buy gray shirts, gray pants, gray mm-hmm. everything, so that I can disappear. <laughs> as opposed to the guy that wore that red suit. Right. Right. The long hair. Yeah that that was that was fulfilling something you needed at the time, I guess, and totally. you don't need it anymore. See now, I don't need a psychiatrist. You're the guy. Yeah, that's right. You you said I was going to be your therapist when you when we we yeah. first got on. <laughs> but it fulfilled me it, absolutely. So that's totally. interesting. That's that's great. I mean, I'm happy. You you, you sounds like you have a a great life. I mean, you you sound happy. You seem totally like totally happy. That's great. And so nice I to know, hear. I'll tell you this: I would go into the great hells if somehow or other I was unable to draw. Right. In, in fact, let me tell you that uh, once in a while I'll go through a period when I'm not drawing. And do you think I was smart enough to understand this? And I'll go into a sort of a, a, a remorse and, a, and a, a depth of despair that starts creeping up on me. Mm-hmm. And that, that I'm talking about right now, uh, to, uh, these days. Mm-hmm. But I'll stupidly, the way to get out of that is the minute I sit down and do a sketch, I'm on top of the world. Right. I still have to, sometimes I guess we forget. I don't know. There has to be something beyond that. If I do feel down, the way to get out of that down, I don't care how down it is. Mm-hmm. If I do a sketch, the second that pencil hits the paper, I'm feeling good already. Oh, yeah. And I know that a lot of people, a lot of artists, you can survive. If you're working at a job, I know a lot of artists that are out there. Uh, you know, they do their art in the weekends and so on and so forth. We all can't make a living right. as artists. It's a tough, tough, bloody uh, life to make a living as it. Yeah. And uh but they all they need to do is is get a little sketch pad next to them where they're working and do a couple of drawings, and that that's like a, a lift of what a great idea. <laughs> yeah, that, that's great advice, especially yeah. for people who have the day jobs, you know. Absolutely, and it, because it makes you feel worthy in mm-hmm. some in in many ways that you're not just there with right. the boss telling you what to do. That you feel okay. And there's nothing, as you know, there's nothing more wonderful than creating. Oh yeah, yeah, it's my favorite thing. My favorite <laughs> to thing create. to do. It's the that's why I, you know, I feel so fortunate. This this is the way I, I make my living because it's what I would be doing anyway if I had a day job. You know, I would still be doing this at night. I'd still be painting because it's there just you are. so fun. I can't think of anything more fun, <laughs> really. It's, it's not work. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all the stuff around it, like shipping things and, you know, running a business online, selling the artwork and stuff like that. That's all work. But the painting part is just so much part. fun. It's so, so it's all about the process. To me, it's all about the painting process. It's, and that makes everything else worth it. It makes all the struggle worth it. Every time I sit down at the easel, I'm like, Okay, that's why that's why I'm putting up with living paycheck to paycheck and month to month. I remember now why I'm going putting myself through this hell. Well, we better not. I'll tell you this, Chet. We better not. I better not tell people how much fun I have 
doing their portrait, <laughs> I feel guilty yeah, taking right. money. <laughs> exactly. I should tell them, look it, I, I should pay you. I've had so much fun doing <laughs> your portrait. I should be owing you money. But I take their money anyway. And So how, how, how often are you doing portrait commissions nowadays? Well, I have people that uh, have discovered me, you know, that I've kind of run away from it all. But there's people that are getting a hold of me. And they so it's a continual thing. And also there's old galleries that I still send. Uh, character studies and so on oh, to them cool. in the galleries and so on. So it's, it, I'm still doing the same thing, but not in the high. Used to be, let me tell you, Chet, used to be, let's say I was 40 years old. Mm-hmm. A dealer would phone up and say, I want you and uh, and Tom to have a two-man show next fall. Can you get me uh, 30 pictures? Mm. And I'd say, <laughs> ah, sure. You <laughs> You got it. And I still have to fill up other galleries, you know. Yeah, yeah. I'd do the 30 pictures and I'd work, what, 14 hours a day, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But if they said 30 pictures, now some f- a gallery phones me out, I need a picture in two weeks, Harley. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd do it. Right. <laughs> Did, are you, the old days, you're, you have to be a little bit insane. Yeah, for sure. You know, <laughs> in the art world, you you can't think like a normal person, right? <laughs> but if that's what you've done all your life, then you know that's what I've done all my life is draw pictures. So right, that's all you know. It's all normal to me. Yeah, yeah. And my heart goes out to people that have not devoted whatever they love to do during their lifetime. They some of a lot of I did some used to do workshops, and a lot of people I had at the workshop were retired. And they said, finally, they retired and they're 65, whatever, right. 70. And finally, I get to do what I want to do. And I want to draw pictures. I've always wanted to draw pictures. And I've always felt sad for them. Great, great that they came. And yeah, right. But sad. Oh, and what all that just, time. <laughs> all that time. And, and often they were very, very successful in what they did. They owned big car, car right. lots and so on. And uh, if you, even in politics. And wow. uh, uh, and even a few I, I can't mention names. A few in the acting world, and huh. uh, oh, I can't even. No, oh, there's some. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> a lot of great people uh, got into art, and uh, and really, I can tell you this in firsthand that if somebody gets into the art world, it keeps that mind moving. And, um, and I think that it adds years to a person's life. Not only adds years, but in, a, in, in its way, it makes those years active, keeps that brain moving. Right. When, I don't, when I draw a picture, my brain is back in action. Right. I'm like the Frankenstein monster with the... <laughs> <laughs> what, how old are you now? 80. That's, it's amazing. I mean, I, I can attest to the just by looking at you and, and everyone hearing you, you know, it's, it, it must be true because, you know, you, <laughs> you sound like a young guy and you look amazing. Well, you. And yeah, I'm, I, okay. I, I'm a perfect example of what art can do for you. Okay. I, tell, I tell that to people that are listening to what you're uh, recording here that and I have no reason other than that's the truth that art and even if you go into acting. Or if you write a book, mm-hmm. uh, you know anything to do with creation and and doing something with yourself, with your mind, uh, that is the 
ultimate to yeah. me. And there's so many, I've got hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that I've had in my workshops in the past. I used to do them all the time. And uh, it, it, it made such a difference with so many of them. That yeah. kept in touch with them, and they've just, it, it just made it such a difference. It's like magic. It really it is, is. kind of like magic, you know? Um, I, I was curious, the stuff you're painting now, do you, are you, are you searching for anything new or are you kind of settled in your, what you know that you like to paint and draw and you're just kind of exploring that? Cause I, I mean, I feel in, in my, at this point in my life, I feel very settled on where I am mm-hmm. and I, and I feel like. I've, I've sort of have my format that I'm totally satisfied with. And um, I feel like I could do that the rest of my life actually. And it wouldn't be repeating myself. It would just be a further deeper exploration of the thing I'm doing. So I'm curious if, you know, are you going through at this point in your life, have you gone through different phases recently or are you just kind of settled on what you're doing and, and just enjoying portraiture or what is it you're doing? I think you've perfectly answered my the question you've uh, yourself. It exactly perfectly answered it. That I love what I'm doing, and it's not like faces get old. There's nine right. billion <laughs> of them, and each one is a challenge. I swear to you, if I was to do one face a day for the next thousand days, three mm-hmm. years, whatever. Each day would be a total revelation for me. Wow. Each face, because they're, the faces and the lighting and so on and the uh, expression. Yeah. Those things, the colors. Sometimes I'll do a face wild colors. Right. But each day would be a total revelation to me. So, and it's, I've never had the feeling that I've, and as you probably have seen, I've done monsters. You yeah, know, yeah I love your monsters. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> They're uh, so good. Uh, but you never get tired of, of doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I never get tired of it. It's just, and in fact, I'm, here's the truth. I'm still learning. Wow. I still learn from, wow. oh boy, did I learn from that one? You yeah, know? yeah. And, and we never get to a point where we're so smart. That's interesting. I'm sure Shakespeare may have, I don't know, maybe he got to that point. But right. <laughs> most of us, and, and the beauty about this is, and you know, when you talk about artists in their, into the contemporary, they, I've talked to a lot of artists in that, and they're really not deeper than your average person. Mm-hmm. They like the world to think they are. Right. Uh, you know, that they've hit something deep with those three or four lines. And I'm not, Horrifically, I'm smart. I have a talent that I've developed, but I don't think I'm unnaturally deep. And uh, uh, I, well, to be honest with you, I do not understand Picasso. Right. And I'll sit down and I'll ask somebody if they do. And within a few moments of the right questions, many of them really don't themselves. They see the, <laughs> the side of the face and this and, and this thing. Oh, Picasso. Oh, why? And we'll name a few other names, like Jackson Pollock, right. who he, the attachist, where he threw onto a canvas. Yeah. Well, God bless him. And and I most of the people that love abstract art, contemporary art, are oftentimes much brighter than me. But it doesn't mean that abstract or contemporary art is that wonderful or, to 
that yeah. well, there's so much in it. Right. Well, yeah. That, well, that's the that's what I always say is you know I can look at contemporary art, conceptual art, abstract art, and I can say okay, it's not for me, but I understand that in the sense that art kind of moves culture forward in a way, you know, that's kind of one of the jobs of art, I think, is to kind of seek out the new and, and experiment and blah, blah, blah. I, I, I understand that. But um, that the problem I find is that it's held up as the best art and the most deep art yeah. and the most important art somehow like negates people that are doing portraits. It's like, they can all kind of exist in the realm and and be appreciated as, you know, their own thing within within the realm of the art world. But I, but I, the thing that bothers me is that contemporary contemporary art gets um, more more attention and gets put in museums and and it's just kind of unfair. I feel. Well, this is the the thing is that it does get into the big museums, and if if a if a Pollock goes for a hundred million dollars, you think, wow, that's pretty darn important. <laughs> Uh, at least the, the money, you think, well, maybe I'm missing out on something. Right. And uh, I, I, I know what you're saying. It to me, uh, I used to understand. I used to think I understood it. Okay. And and I because I tried to because everybody else loved it, and they said, Harley, don't you get that? <laughs> oh well, yeah, I do. You know, I start to try to work myself into right. thinking. This Rothko, or whoever it was, uh, all you know, all the names. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that I oh, okay, the, okay, yeah. Now I get it. He's doing the flag. Jasper Johns do, uh, doing the American flag, uh, painting it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but the fact is that they're just big daubs of paint, right? Uh, duplicating the American flag, and, and I couldn't see anything deeper than that. But there's. Well, God, when the New York Times or the Washington Post writes big articles on it, and when the uh, the big New York uh, galleries and museums start showing these things, then I'm, I say to myself, God, now here's something to think about. Let's say a hundred years from now, when all of the stuff has gone by and, and people are not promoting or, uh, let's say, uh, Cy Wombly. No, let's say let's let's use a name that's been known for a long time, uh, Picasso. Let's say a hundred years from now, and let's and let's also say that there's not been a lot of written about him. Let's say that they've gone on to digital this and that and all sorts of wild things or okay. visually, and let's say that they had a show of the digital. All of a sudden, somebody puts up a Picasso with the eyes and the nose and so on. Now, let, and let's say that those people went over to look at the Picasso that were at this digital show, whatever it is in the future. Mm. They looked at the Picasso, but there was nothing to say who really he was all about, nor did there was descriptions about him and his art. Let's say just saw it bare. Right. What would be the reaction? Exactly. At that? Would yep. they say, oh, what's uh, right. <laughs> the cubism? What would they say about the nose and, and so on? They'd have to think for themselves about right. it. Wouldn't have any backing. Right, right. And so now if they were to look at uh, you, one of the favorites of you and me, 
of, say, Norman Rockwell. Mm -hmm. uh, and they'd say, God, what a... You know, there was a show of his down in San Diego, I think. I it know, was. I missed it. Oh. Uh, I can't believe I missed they that. They had people lined up. I know, were, I'm kicking myself it. still every time I think about that. Well, it was beyond anything you could imagine. Yeah, heard, was, I, I know people who went, I know. Well, it, it, uh, I was shaking when I came up, just wow. shaking. And all of my art friends, that I've, the names, all these big names, I went there. And and we just came out kind of silent. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Breathtaking. Right. Well, that's the thing though, about, about that, you know, modern art that, that I can't really get with. And that is to me, artwork, what makes art important is how it makes you feel. I mean, to me that, that gives it the meaning and the importance is if you see something and it registers an emotion with you, like a real, real feeling. Mm -hmm. it, like whether it makes you feel good yeah. because it yeah. feels right or, you know, whatever. Um, and I, I just can't imagine someone looking at, you know, a silver box in a room mm -hmm. and going, oh, it really makes me feel. Or even, you right. know, like a, like a Pollock. It's like the, the best I can do is like, okay, it was different than what was being done. And it's, yeah. you know, it kind of is an interesting texture and I can sort of appreciate it for that, but it's, it doesn't make me go, oh, it hit me in the, in the gut, you know, well, the way that your art does or, you know, present or, you know, my favorite painters, these. Oh God, you're, you've, you, you named a great one. Oh yeah. He's one of my favorite. He was my, he was my first favorite artist. Rembrandt was your first favorite artist. Yeah. He, aside from my dad as well. He was my, like the first one I was like, oh my God, when I was a little kid. Yeah. He was amazing. He, he was a genius. I he mean, was. I don't think there was a bad stroke in any of his paintings. I know. I know. It's incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, when you say that we're advancing or not advancing, but pushing the envelope in in art, uh, sometimes I think that I I have a feeling in art school they're no longer really teaching the basics of art, and they're kind of going now into what they think are i will i'll use the term fad but they're they're kind of following along they're being pushed in, and they're following along with the what they see in the galleries mm -hmm. and and a lot of a lot of it as you see there's digital and then there's what like you say a, a, a box a right. steel box conceptual art conceptual and there's now what is it i saw one in a newspaper and it was a bunch of junk piled into a room right. that it had title to it. And it was a name. It was a piece of art, I suppose. Right. <laughs> but the thing is, I remember a fr friend of mine were at a big. At, I think it was Museum of Modern Art in New York, and uh, we were at a show, and I started making smart ass remarks. There was something. <laughs> there was something hanging from the wall, uh, and I couldn't figure it out. And I said to my friend, "What the." <laughs> and and we uh, said it too loud, <laughs> and for the second time in my life, I was ushered out a door. <laughs> really? Yeah, they, they, because I was. We were laughing at it, you know. And what's going on here? And so they, uh, I guess, the security guys said that the. Uh, That's you funny. Know, <laughs> if you say the wrong thing on an airplane, you're ushered out the door. Right, so right. <laughs> and, and if you're, if you say the wrong thing at the Museum of Modern Art, right. Same, 
<laughs> I can't imagine they don't get that more often. Because that's the thing. The weird thing about the, um, the, the stuff that's in these contemporary art museums is so disconnected from what I think the average person would appreciate and understand even. You yeah. know, it's like everybody, that's what I love about, um, you know, representational art is that anyone can understand it and get it. And I think that's great. I don't think you should have to have a degree to understand art. You know, it should be like a a natural thing. It should just give well, you Well, you a, said the perfect word, you know, the average person. Now, the average person doesn't mean they have average intelligence, average this and that and the other thing. It means that they're... People like you and me, yeah, right? regular, regular folk. Right, you know, right. You want to say the uh, the beauty about not the beauty, but the thing about uh, extravagant thing about the art world now is that it's in the hands of a few very select people. Right, and uh, the average person is not only going to not understand it, but the average person is not going to want to understand it. Want to go on with his life or her life and say, "I look at, I don't care what you're right, trying to right, tell me. Exactly. I've got better things to do than sit <laughs> listen to this." And, uh, and but that's where the big art is. And then they have the collectors who've got billions of dollars, and they're told that artists A and B, oh God, you've just got to get one of right. those. And once they now you can imagine, okay. If you got a mansion overlooking the Pacific Ocean and you invite people into that house, your house, a big party, and on that wall in the, let's say, in the den, you have there under lighting a Jackson Pollock. You tell me that you're not going to be number one on the society list. Right, right. Having an original Jackson Pollock or, right. or whoever, <laughs> uh, Rauschenberg, you name it. Right. And uh, and people are going to look at it. Oh my God! Did you see? And they leave that. That's the only thing they'll be talking about. Right, right. But leave. Right. Yeah, so that's that's where the art. A lot of the art is, and then, and I used to remember reading Time Magazine way back, and they'd always have in the art section. I'd always couldn't wait to get to the art section to see what's hot. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know, and and I went along with it. You know, it was it, all abst- abstract expressionism back mostly, then, right? It was, yeah, mostly was abstract expressionism, and so I, I believed if it's going to be in time, then by God, it must be great art. So I better fall in line. Right. Still kept doing my portraits and so on, thinking that okay, one. Day, in fact, I, I'm not sure if you know, but I'll just I'll touch this just very lightly mm-hmm. because I don't want to push it too far. Uh, but I did finally get an alter ego have oh, you really have you heard of my alter ego i don't know What's... okay okay my alter ego i never well i maybe wrote a little bit about it, but i was it happened my first gallery in calgary was with a janitor the in his room that he had a room and had windows in a front page of a store uh and he was a janitor, and he was the only guy that would put my pictures up. Wow. And so and I used to work in the basement uh-huh. of his place. I'd have it work on the top of a table, of a coffee table. I'd, I'd, I'd do my pictures. Right. And I did one after the other in heat saw for 35 bucks a piece, and we'd split it 50-50. And uh, that's after all the galleries. None of them wanted my art. So wow. anyway, 
one day I was down there and I was drawing and all of a sudden I something happened to me and I started going into wild colors and so on and the name I became another person and my my new name that I somehow crept into my brain was Belanovsky uh. <laughs> I became Belanovsky and I started doing these wow. here's another one for the books for you okay uh. you heard about the 3000 books all right. Here's, here's another Guinness. <laughs> so I started doing these Belanovskis. What were they like? Abstract? Well, there were no, at that time, they were very colorful faces, wonderfully yeah. done, all the colors, and I didn't give a damn. I just <laughs> did them with all sorts of colors to them. And they were like faces and so on, figures and mm -hmm. so on. The janitor, who was my art dealer, <laughs> <laughs> said, I love these. So here's the thing. He had a two-man show. <laughs> Half, uh, in with his, you and you? And he cut out some <laughs> names on top of his, with me and Belanovsky. Right. <laughs> on the top of the uh, store that he had, he cut out of uh, plywood, Salon d'Art. Uh -huh. He called it. That was the name of his new gallery. And... He had the two-man two show, Belanovsky and Harley Brown. So I did my usual pictures, and I had, oh, I don't know, 20, 20 Belanovskis. And we sent out flyers. This is a true story. My <laughs> right hand up. Okay. And we sent out flyers, and we said on it that uh, Harley Brown will be present. Belanovsky might be present. <laughs> and so, by God, we had the show. Uh, I went to the show as, as me. Mm -hmm. Belanovsky was somewhere, who knows. But uh, I went to it, and I asked people, what do you think? And they were all over looking at the Belanovskis. <laughs> and I said, do you, have you heard? Well, and one person said they had met him. Oh, <laughs> Are you serious? Yes, <laughs> right hand up. That's great. <laughs> all of the Belanovskis sold. Two of mine sold. Wow. So I was jealous with myself. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. I, wow. I tell you the true story. And eventually, and I was making no money with mine, but Belanovsky, and incidentally, his were selling for 75 bucks a piece. No, 70 bucks a piece, twice a month. And mine were 35. His were 70, mine were wow. 35 bucks. And so I was making good money with that, but I became deranged. I was getting jealous of this bugger. <laughs> so... I had a story. He was he was uh, his flame Fleur. He was in love with Fleur and so on. And he was a little older than me, so I had him leave to Europe because I couldn't stand him <laughs> being my competition <laughs> at this gallery. So he did leave. That's amazing. And I went back to being, and I had I collected enough money through him, but. And my, my career started going on a little better, a little mm. better portraits and so on. And Belanovsky disappeared. Now, here's the part. Fifty years later, I was in my studio in Tucson, and I was drawing. And I said, all, and I, these are true stories. I got all sorts of them. And all of a sudden, Belanovsky came into my hand, and I started doing his work. I didn't ask for it. I didn't wow. it. All of a sudden... But this time he had graduated into pure abstract. And wildly, I'll see that you get a few. Yeah, that's to, interesting. To see some. And he, and all of a sudden, 
I started doing a number of his of, of works through him. Wow. So much so that incidentally, ooh, I shouldn't even say this because people at oh yeah yeah. <laughs> well, people maybe not all of them, but uh I Belinowski also does part of my articles. I do articles. Oh and wow. I do with me, my name, and then I have and he he also uh talks about art. Wow. Yeah. So I get out of the bag. <laughs> Are these, like with a psychiatrist, are these closed meetings? <laughs> I can edit it out if you want, but it no, sure, it sure makes a great podcast. Well, it's true. It's the real thing. And, That's fascinating. But he does, and in fact, in the article articles, my name is quite small in the articles. His name is three times bigger. That is so cool. It's so, it's interesting. And you know what? Uh I, it's, I always thought it would be really cool to have a pseudonym and just be able to kind of let go and try different things. But, but well, what's really go. interesting about that show and and the um, uh, Belanovsky, is, is that what Bel- oh. You're right, Belanovsky. Belanovsky, the, the Belanovsky selling and yours not selling as yeah. much is it really tells you how important, as far as art sales go, marketing is. Because that was marketing. That was marketing that this guy, we have this new artist. He may or may not show up. His work's ex- more expensive, so it must be really good. Yeah. That's all part of like the marketing of the art. And they all sold. It kind of says it's interesting, just the psychological, uh, the way that things are sold psychologically. they so different than mine. Yeah, right. And mine were just kind of, yeah, they're nice. They're drawings and they're kind of <laughs> muted. And that was the days that I was doing pastels on velour. And I, I'll say it right now, I did a few of them, oil on velvet. Wow. <laughs> I've never done it. I've always wanted to try oh, that. <laughs> well, it's a real technique of its own. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> those, those were endearing times. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, that brings me to an interesting thing I wanted to ask you that I bet um, a lot of people don't realize if they're, I know a lot of people uh, um, that listen to the podcast may not be familiar with your work because they're more into, you know, the weird stuff and the dark sure. stuff that I do. But um, I bet you the people that are checking your work out while listening to this podcast don't realize that most of them are pastel. Is that correct? Yeah. That's correct, right? And, and the, the way that you, I, I thought f- forever when I had your book, I I didn't read the captions. I didn't realize they were all, most of them were pastel because they look like oil paintings. Well, I started out doing oil paintings. All of the, all 90% were, were oils. And mm. then all of a sudden I got kind of into the pastels way back. And the pastels mm. seemed to be more natural for me, but I used the oil painting technique. So if you look at one of them, one of the covers or something like that I'd done, and you look at it, you'd swear that it was oil. I know. It's amazing. It, the strokes in it. Right. And, and they're, it's not very typical. One, when one thinks of pastels, they think of like diddling away right. and fussing and so right. on and so forth. But these are not. These are quite, the, uh, quite a different kind of way of putting down pastels, although now this depends on the artist, but uh, I do them the same feeling as I did with oil. So they have an oil 
kind of approach to them. Yeah. And I love pastel. I And the thing about pastel is it'll last for centuries. Oh, really? Yeah. I never thought of that. The long, centuries. Yeah. Oils will kind of crack maybe right. in yellow. But if you mm. look at it, and I thought it was great art, some of the impressionists, Degas, if you look at a pastel of theirs, you think it was done yesterday. Wow. Huh. It doesn't deteriorate at all. Never thought about that. How do you mix the colors, though? That's what I don't understand. How are you mixing? Uh, well, I use my little finger, just kind of work at my hand sometimes. Uh, I mean, you kind of, you're not, there's no palette to mix on. So I'm just wondering, how do you get the well, right values and with stuff? Pa with pastel, you can, there's a thousand, I mean, God, I got, there's so many colors that you can get with pastel, mm. many more than you do with oils. You have to mix oil sometimes. Right. But with pastels, there's 10 yellows. So you there's know. every color you're going to need, so you every don't have to, okay. Need. And then I kind of, I can also work them together. Right, right. The thing. Yeah, kind of mix on the, on the, on the surface of the drawing, you can kind of exactly. mix them. Exactly. Mm. And after a while with art, and you know this yourself, with art, there gets to be a point. Uh, I've begun to understand something that never did understand years ago. But there's the inner mind and the outer mind. And I know I'm hot or going at it right if I allow my inner mind to do the work. And I, there's times when I can actually stand back and watch myself. Yeah, yeah. Paint. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. It pours out of you. It just pours out of you. Yeah, that's that's my philosophy with painting is is I try and stay out of the way stay of the painting. Yeah, and I let the paint. I probably unconsciously ripped it off from, from your book, but it's like I try and... I feel like the painting is telling me what it wants to be. And so I'm in the service of the painting mm -hmm. rather mm -hmm. than I'm not trying yeah. to enforce my own ego yeah. onto the painting. It's more about what, what can, how can I serve you? Yeah. Like the painting is a being in a way, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm, Same here with the, with the, uh, the model or the, Oh, the model would be something, somebody exciting, some woman or some guy that's got uh, holding something in his hand, some, uh, any of these or a face, and I just allow that person to, uh, the excitement will get my inner mind going, mm. and I'll just let it let it happen. Right. And that, that's when you're really, I'm sure that that happens with uh, people that are, when you're playing tennis. Oh, yeah, or, for sure. Or anything. Sports, yeah, definitely. You know to yourself that you can't think of every move you're going to do in tennis. You just, those are things that right. are built the years. And you know yourself that you have to kind of earn that mm -hmm. uh, thing. You can't when you're young and starting out. Right, right. That inner mind has nothing right. going for <laughs> other than how to eat soup. <laughs> <laughs> but when you get older, you uh, the more you – and when I'm talking with you, I can't think of every word. Right. If you're talking with me, you can't think of every word I am about to tell. You just boom, let yeah. it happen. right. And uh, it's the same with sports, writing, all mm -hmm. of those things that uh, our mind sort of takes over. Yeah. Our inner mind. Yeah, yeah. It's the, it's comes back to the magic aspect. It really is kind of a magical. True magic. It's, it's, you, you can't, it's hard to even explain for someone who's never done it. It's hard so, to explain. It's like you're explaining it, but that still doesn't, yeah. doesn't quite say, say what it is. It's like you can't, it's, it's weird. It's really, it's like trying to explain 
a dream to someone who's never had a dream before or something. You know? Yeah, absolutely like that. But but many of us experience it that we don't know we're experiencing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I say, when somebody's playing basketball, when you're going from one end to the other and you're dodging people in that, that's for many, many years of doing it over and over and right. over again. And finally, your your inner mind gets it. Right, it's right. taken over. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, I can remember when I was way back inexperienced, let's, as a, for instance, when I would date a girl, for instance, and I would try to impress her, and I'd think of everything I was about to say, and thinking that would impress her. Well, it never did. Right. And, and because I had to think, well, now what will I say? What did Brando do? Or what did I know? Did- oh, I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's a but great, then, such a great point. Yeah. You know? And so what you allow finally to let it happen. I was yep. saying, Carol, today, do I bore you? I said to her, because I sure bore me a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, never, never. Because you never know. When you let it loose, right. you never know what to expect the next moment. Right, right. I know exactly. I, 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 I've brought this up before on the podcast as well, that when, especially when I was writing uh, music and stuff, I would try and do something that I thought I should. Like I was influenced by a certain kind of music and, and it had a certain message. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to do something like that. So I would try and write these lyrics that were like the stuff that was influencing me, but I wasn't letting it go and, and being pure to the art. I was enforcing my own idea of what I thought it should be. And it never came out good. It always came out trite and it just it wasn't real. Yeah. And, and, and so when it comes to the, the painting, I feel like I finally learned that lesson of, of, uh, you know, getting out of, getting out of your own way. And but the beauty is you learned, you said to your, you said the words, the right, that you learned it, you understood right, it. Right, right. You, you got it. Right. A lot of people don't get it. Yeah, yeah. And their whole life they're putting on an act. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's, 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 you know, the, another interesting analogy about art. I, I, I do this a lot. I actually started writing them down. I was thinking, man, this would make a great book. To where, like, the principles of art, proper art, art, uh, art fundamentals actually can sure. be can be um, related as analogies to things you should do in life, like mm-hmm. how you should live your life, kind of. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's really true. And the same, it's 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 just like you're saying, people putting on an act. That's that's exactly the the same thing. And and to to just be yourself and yeah. to not think about what you're doing when you're. But you have to trust that you're right. When you you say be yourself, but I used to think back in those days that I was very boring. So I thought if I be myself, they yeah. would people would find me totally boring. And right. the truth is, they did find me boring. And uh, and so I tried everything. I tried to I watched the screen and see what the John Wayne did, and I'd see and and I'd look mm-hmm. at some of the guys in in my room that were popular with the girls and so on. And I'd see how they acted. Right. So I'd try to do all of that. Never, <laughs> right. never worked. <laughs> I think every, you know, I think every, everybody goes through that at I some point. And, yeah. you know, so, like, like you said, though, some people never get out of it, especially if they it works for them <laughs> somehow. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. But yeah, it's, 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 um, uh, 
it's a matter it's a it's that's why it's it's like it's a it's almost like a zen concept it's letting go it's letting go that's what it really is about and and it's uh, letting go i know? think it's letting go you know they like when one thinks of it a cat we have two cats bob and baby mm-hmm. and and uh, you'd think that a cat laying down and sleeping and this and that and that's all they do is then they go eat and so on but i never find a cat this should be the ultimate to that i never find a cat boring right <laughs> yet they do the most boring things you get it's I, true you know sleep and eat yeah yeah it's true but you never know what they're going to do the next moment right exactly and 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 they don't care if you right. boring. that's the beauty of it exactly it's, <laughs> it's true so human beings who have a little more going for them than a cat maybe uh <laughs> I've always, there was one girl I remember in school. She was totally different. I think I wrote about her. And she was totally different. You never knew what to expect. And she always said what she felt. It was Mm. never in line with what all of us would be thinking and saying. Right. And even if it was a little bit contradictory, we admired her and we never shunned her or anything like that because of her slightly different feeling towards something, but she would say certain things. Well, I don't like that. Or she'd say, now this is how I, she would say her own opinion, but she was never, this is the beauty of, she was never afraid to. Whereas many of us, oh, I better not mention this. Or, you know, when you're at a party, Mm -hmm. you what to mention, not to mention, oh, I better not get into that. Right, right. And uh, I think that's something we take to our end. Right, yeah. In some cases. That's how my wife is. I mean, I'm like the the one who's I'm, I'm I'm always worried about saying the wrong thing, and my wife my <laughs> wife will just say what you know. Oh, bless her! What soul. she thinks. <laughs> <laughs> That's you know one of the reasons you, we we're kind of attracted to our 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 uh, opposites in in a sense, or, or yeah. our partners will. Um, Give us the things we lack, and I think that's why you you know why I've been married for almost thirty years now. It's because it's like we we uh, complement each other in that way. Well, opposites do attract, and it's there's never better examples than many marriages. Right. And uh, yeah, my wife is uh, Carol is, is straight, good, real, and she'll say what she just like your mm-hmm. wife. And I'm kind of the eccentric, uh, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and paranoid. You know, and, yeah. uh, all and, uh, of those things. That, remi- that, that I, I don't mean to interrupt, but that reminds me of I love your self-portrait, the paranoid self-portrait. Oh, That's such a great self-portrait. <laughs> there's a fellow that I know who was a big dealer in uh, in L.A. had one of the biggest galleries there. And he said that was the best painting I'd ever done. Oh, wow. That yeah, one of is a paranoid. It's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's dead on. It's dead on. Well, I've done a lot of portraits of myself. Yeah, Maybe. yeah. Yeah, I was just, like I said, I was just looking through the book, and there was a few self-portraits in there. They're all great. You really yeah. capture, portraiture is so difficult. It I, is. It's, I definitely, um, I think, I, I can do I can do my monster portraits. I know I know what I'm doing there. But when it comes to to painting um, human beings, <laughs> I, I can do it. But I, I need a lot of help to getting getting the likeness. It's not easy to get the likeness for me. It's, it's well, likeness is one thing that, and I agree with you there. But you know, when you talk about 
uh, someday somebody ought to interview you. Um, <laughs> those faces that you do are truly nightmares. Thank uh, you. <laughs> not in the old-fashioned uh, thing that you see in the comics and the movies and that. They are horrible, heartless. They're not zombies, but they're the kind of face that you almost put together the right eyes, nose, and mouth. And not only, you know, there's people that uh, are happy when they kill somebody or they're sad when they kill somebody. Mm. Those people that you do have no feeling one way or the other uh-huh. <laughs> guys in front of them. They're neither have it's just their way. And, right. and they seem to own their surroundings. Just the, the, the feeling when you, like I say, in my gray times, when I used to have those gray uh, mind uh, things where I flipped out, I would be in a world where those kind of creatures would exist, hurt things. Yeah, that's and, kind of, that's sort of what I feel that they are really are uh, parts of the, the psyche, maybe they're like they're like uh, physical uh, physical embodiments of dark parts of the psyche. Yeah. So it kind of makes sense. You said it. You, you know, said it. it's not intentional though. That's the weird thing is I never was set out and thought, I okay, I'm going to do these monster portraits. It was more like the only idea I had when I decided to go painting into painting is I'm going to try and be as pure and as real as I can. And I thought that the the best way to get in touch with that part of myself was to do what draw paint like I used to draw when I was a kid, where mm-hmm. there was there was no you were only doing it just for the joy of doing it, oh, and yeah. and so then I started thinking about what I used to like like to draw, and it was you know mostly monsters and stuff. So then I okay. thought mm, maybe I'll just kind of that feels like the most fun thing I can think of to paint. So I just started doing it, and then I kind of developed into that. So it was. It was a real, it was inspired for sure. It wasn't like a, a something I really planned, you know? Well, and I guess this is a compliment, but but when I looked at those, one if one looked at those, and let's say I didn't know you and that, and, and, I, and I looked at those, I would think to myself, I never want to meet the person who created those. <laughs> Well, that that's, never. that's I never want to be in the same building this, as that person. This is the whole uh, purpose of this podcast, actually. The, the the reason it started was that every you know, it's called the dark. The podcast is called the Dark Art Society podcast, and it's yeah. all it's it's kind of catering to artists. Generally, I mean, we we obviously we we interview uh, traditional artists and different types of artists, but it's primarily geared towards people who enjoy dark art or paint dark art. And the weird thing that I found, well, actually, while we were making, this guy was making this movie about me, is we started realizing how, what nice, kind-hearted people that all the fans of the artwork, uh, the dark art were, and the artists themselves were such cool, down-to-earth, nice people. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's part of why I wanted to do this podcast is to... Um, explain to people that might be see the artwork that weren't familiar with it that would be mm-hmm. like oh just like you said I don't want to meet that guy <laughs> he's scary yeah. and 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 discuss it and 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 uh kind of educate people on 
what the whole scene is about and what these people are actually like. Because, you know, unless you're in the circle and understanding what's going on, it can be off-putting to people who, you know, haven't taken the time to think about it or just aren't familiar yeah. with it, you know? So that's kind of the whole purpose of the how the podcast started anyway. At well, this, who knows? Maybe Boris Karloff and Bella Lugosi were nice guys. Boris maybe Karloff was supposed to be the coolest guy. He yeah. was supposed, yeah, and the makeup artist too. They, they had like Jack Pierce, the guy who did his makeup. Oh, sure, sure. They, they were like pals, and they they used to just gush about each other, you know. So it's, <laughs> there's something to be said about people that are able to um, get their own darkness out through their yeah. artwork, you know, oh. kind of. Cathar- catharsis through the artwork, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely true. I'm sure that's been the way it's been for thousands of years. Mm-hmm. Try to think back and think back 5,000 years ago or think back Nero, what was going on in his mind. Right. Uh, or, you know, any of the people that uh, <sighs> that you can think of in, in, if you read about and, and, and such. And today, you know, for you and I, for instance, uh, well, you know, maybe a hundred years from now, they're going to pick up this podcast and say, my God, you know, or this or other ones you've done. And I think they'll somehow they will go through the ages because I think you probably have uh, picked some interesting people and who you've picked is probably speaks on behalf of many people of our age, mm-hmm. the times that we're living in right, right. now. And I think there's a lot revealed That's in, true. in your podcast, a lot revealed yeah. about right now in a great honesty, in an right. honesty, you know, not just art, but in the life of our times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree. I think, it, I think with the, the kind of dark art as well, I, I always say that the artwork is, it's, it's of this time. It really is with totally. how bad things have gotten. It's kind of like, you know, when you look at that movement you're like, okay, it makes sense that it's during this time right now, even though, you know, mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I, I, I love this time right now as much as there's all kinds of terrible things going on in the world. It's still amazing. Yeah. There's still so much amazing things. It's really a weird t- mixture of incredible, amazing things that are incredibly good. And there's incredibly bad things too. It's, it's just kind of like hard to believe, everything's you know, heightened in a way. When you think of it, uh, when you think of this planet earth, is a little speck of nothing in a a little galaxy, the Milky Way, (laughs) which is one of billions in space. So our Earth is just not even a piece of dust. And yet on this same piece of dust, so many, so much history has happened in so many places that it's unbelievable. Even (laughs) if you look at one household, of the things that have gone through the lives of the people in one household right. uh, is, is, is unbelievable. And then you think of yourself waking up in the morning and how peaceful it is. And I look out here at the mountains and so on. And then another piece of this little piece of dust in the universe are people waking up to in, in Syria, for instance, or right. someplace in the, where bombs are happening right. all around them and people are coming in to get them. And right. God only knows what's going to happen on that same little piece. Know, yeah, it's just you can't. The mind can't truly. The mind can't, can't truly conceive much of it. Much too big, right? It's, it's too enormous. And just the, and in the same way, the <clears throat> going kind of the other way, everything's made up of these 
molecules or atoms that have what's the what's the thing I, I heard? The space between they're mostly space. Atoms are mostly space. Yeah, yeah, yeah between. Yeah. yeah so it's like basically it's nothing. It's space yeah. that is most of an atom, which makes up everything. So basically everything is mostly nothing. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it, it's it's yeah. absolutely it's 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 miraculous. It's miraculous, really. Well, when you also in the billions of molecules, I, I know I used to be a drinker. I drank and smoked uh, from my late teens to about 35 right. and that time, my wild time. And I know that when you're and I used to get hammered, you know, I uh-huh. quit drinking that one day when right. I had the drink and uh, and I quit smoking at the same time. Mm. And I think of all the brain cells I killed, but luckily we have billions enough right? <laughs> that uh, it's not a total, you know, but uh, thank goodness. But when you think of the mind and how it creates, how it can love and hate and how it can see uh, details uh, by the every little leaf on a tree it, and you can hear things from three dimension from the right, the left, up, down, whispers, all of the senses, the smells, you can smell the lavender, mm-hmm. this and that, all of the things that can happen, it's hard to believe uh, that a human being can exist. I know. Uh, uh, the and, uh, and yet here we are, and I think, maybe I'm wrong, but I think when you think of people of centuries and centuries ago, 40 years was pretty old. Right. And when you think of the pioneer days in the States when all sorts of things in the Canada, when all sorts of things could happen to you and mm-hmm. diseases and illnesses and so on and emotionally and now. But I'm wondering if 100 years from now, if people will live to 200 years old. And oh, I think so. I think, think so. so. I, I do. I, a lot of people in, in that, uh, I forgot what the, the, there's a field, there's some field where they, where they're all about extending life. And, um, they're saying in like 20 or 30 years that people are going to be living to like 120 or something. Yeah. That's yeah. what I've heard. I don't know. <laughs> Understood. You know, but I think it's going to happen. I think that uh, people that are getting to a certain age, though, they got to watch what they eat. Yeah, and, right. And, uh, and you know, for certain habits, they always say that do your exercises I and, know, I know. and do crossword puzzles and you know but yeah. my answer to that is take a 30 minute walk and draw a picture right that's yeah that's great advice actually <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna since we're we're, we're we're almost at two hours so we really yeah can you believe it that just flew I thought it by was 20 minutes we'd gone by I know. another three hours to, oh, well. <laughs> well i definitely would love to have you come on again if you want if you ever want to Beyond again, I would I would love to have you on because this was like an amazing conversation. Oh, thank you. This is going to be such a great episode. People are going to die. They're going to love it. Oh, it's so interesting. It's so much fun. I wanted to ask you, kind of in closing, I guess, um, with all of your knowledge, where you're at now in life, you're a master painter. You're you're you you're it. You're at the top. You're at the top. So, what advice would you give to the many people who are just kind of trying to start pursuing art seriously. Do you have like kind of general um, advice that you can think of important, well, important yeah, lessons I, you've learned? 
I think it was the, one of the first things I said is don't have a plan B. Uh, <laughs> even if you're working at some office or somewhere, have the plan A where you're going to somehow siphon yourself over into the art world. But also, most important, look uh, for mentors, mentoring. Mm -hmm. One of the biggest breaks I ever had was I had people uh, kind of show me the way. Don't think that you're going to copy. It doesn't mean a lot of people think, well, I better not listen to him or her or whatever. I'll start doing what they do. And uh, I can't do that. I got to be an individual. Well, you can't be an individual until you got uh, the goods. Right. <laughs> and you can't, so and true. you can't get the goods without having these wise, but you pick and choose, pick right. and choose. And go through books, go to museums. Are you talking about artists now? Yeah, yeah, because a lot of artists listen to this podcast. Also, uh, I suppose also always have like yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, you can kind of be disappointed and so on. And uh, uh, don't condemn yourself for anything. Uh, just say, okay, I. one of the things that, I finally got was when somebody gave me a bad time with my art or something, I took it on the positive, most positive way I could. And do not get jealous. Uh, how, did you, I, how do you mean the most, how the po most positive way you, you could, how did you take it? You would, you would uh, try, I, I, try and understand the criticism or. Okay. If it was, if it was just being critical for the sake of it, I would uh, just, toss it aside if somebody was just trying to be a smart ass right and didn't add anything i just toss it aside and and probably uh not listen to that person again if if a few times that's all they had in their uh, agenda mm -hmm. whereas if somebody really has some good uh solid things to say or whatever it is uh and you, sometimes you cannot it uh I had to really treat these well, the people. I didn't want them to think I was being too uh, uh, pushing too hard. Right. To I, I I wanted them to think that I was, you know, once in a while I would want their their help because I knew all of them were busy and I didn't want to kind of be at their doorstep. Right. So you have to kind of play that one. Uh, you have to kind of feel that one out. Mm -hmm. But the the jealous thing i think is more of a that is a negative if oh, you yeah. jealous i i had many shows where other people would win the awards and i was happy as could be for them because i'd win an award once in a while too and they were happy for me mm -hmm. i learned that jealousy and envy are a, are amazing they don't kind of get you up the ladder no they're just hard totally to destructive yeah you, you, know. do, you work yourself, you just work yourself up. And right. nobody can be better than you at being you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I think I got that from, from your book. I got that, that that's where I learned that, well, you know, you the get, idea of being, be, no one's going to be a better you than, than you can be. Nobody's going to be better, Chet Zar, than you yourself. Right. And, and I'm the best Harley Brown there is. <laughs> <laughs> and you owe it to yourself. And Belanowski. <laughs> and you owe it you owe it to yourself exactly. to, to train your, to train yourself well enough to honor being the best Harley Brown you can be. 
or the best chance are I can be. That's right. It's like it's, you owe it to yourself to put in the hard work and, and do that. But my hope is, <clears throat> and it's uh, and Carol's going to get mad at me if you ever. But my <laughs> hope is that when I'm on that bed, you know, the that bed, the final bed, and the mm-hmm. family saying goodbye and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, I hope I have a just I can find a smile on my face that I did it. I did some things right. Oh yeah, I made a lot of mistakes, but on the whole, I it, I I I did myself some favors through right. life. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, and learned how to cope with being myself. Yeah. And, well, and, and doing the best. Right. I, with myself, knowing my limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but those uh, sometimes we don't know what our limitations are. But uh, mine are the the fact that I, like you say, I don't read. I I can't remember things. I don't remember names of people, Mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And I've understood that. But there's some ways that I'm really got it made. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, I I think you're. I think the 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 proof is in the pudding. Look at your life right now. I think that just the mm-hmm. fact that you're happy in your, your life is great. You've got a family that loves you and that you love. And I think that says a lot as to how you conducted your life. Well, and now we're going into the digital age, which is a total different thing than I was raised to. Mm-hmm. Now it's Harley Brown CA or dot CA. You know, <laughs> now we're becoming, um, what are they? Uh, we're, you know that somebody could drop me on a desert island and if they dropped me with my iPhone I could live happily right (laughs) talking to people I could talk to to you you know (laughs) oh Harley I want and I'd be all by myself on that island and I'd say okay I need another drop of food Right, <laughs> or I, I could watch an old movie. Yeah, exactly. Here to eternity. It's uh, amazing. As long as I had a solar thing to keep it going, mm-hmm. and I could do, I send do pictures there. Right. Maybe send me a sketchbook. Drop me a sketchbook next time. Do pictures, <laughs> and then and then have them. Uh, they're so good that I've actually had my stuff reproduced uh, through my iPhone. I've had it reproduced in magazines. So really, uh, yeah. Wow. And they and I could have so I you know they got to do a movie like that where the guy lives happily using his phone, <laughs> right. you know, and it plays the music, his favorite Chopin, and so on. Yeah, Apple could produce it. Apple could put the money up for the movie. <laughs> yeah, there you are, because <laughs> it would be promoting their phone. <laughs> I've often thought that uh, when I go up there and God says, Harley, I'm gonna. You're you're up here, and but I'm going to give you some extra years. Uh, but I want you to be up here for a year just to test things out. And I'd say, well, uh, gosh, who's? Well, he'd say, would you be? I'll let you do some workshops up here. And <laughs> and he says, I've, I've already got Da Vinci, and I got uh, <laughs> Michelangelo, and they're all you know, and I'll fit you in. And I say, hey, look, could you do me a favor? Um, can I one of my first models? First two moms, can I get Cleopatra? And how about Mona Lisa? You know, <laughs> is she doing anything? Mona's pretty busy right now, Harley. But you know, I'd want one of those kind of things where I go up to heaven and I, I get some of because I've been how good, amazing would that be? Yeah, <laughs> that would be so amazing <laughs> to meet all those guys. You know, right? Uh, and 
But I, one of my first things, I'd love to be able to have Mona Lisa as one of my models. That would be incredible. Can you imagine? Yeah, and I I bring her whatever I bring her Coca Cola whatever you know. <laughs> Tell her some jokes, play a little piano for her. <laughs> yeah, she'd say, "Harley, you're a bore." <laughs> you say she'd say, "You're so boring." You would say, "I don't care that you yeah, think that." <laughs> yeah, yeah, put put up with it. <laughs> I'm painting an amazing painting of you. <laughs> well, we never know what's going to happen to us, and. Yeah. yeah. Somebody's going to listen to this and hear your voice and mine at 50, 100 years from now and say, you know, they are uh, not bad people in those days. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah, this is part of your legacy, I think, D- doing interviews and, and stuff. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm excited to be able to play some small part in helping to expose maybe some younger people to your work, some newer, newer people and, help uh educate them to yeah. what to what good is because you know a lot of people without you know I, i'm I, I didn't go to art school i don't have an art education other than educating myself pretty much and watching my dad paint um but a lot of pe- young people nowadays they uh, they don't they're not they they haven't been exposed to stuff that's necessarily good art mm-hmm. they, they see a lot of stuff that you know, might be um, popular to some degree, but it's like as sure. someone who knows what good is, because you have to know the difference between good and bad. You have to have the eye for it. Mm-hmm. And and I see I see stuff that I know isn't technically that good, and and people kind of are trying to emulate that. And it's like you ha- you kind of have to go to, into the, especially if you're trying to elevate. We're trying to elevate this kind of dark stuff and these monsters. We're trying to elevate it and. Um, take it into another place so it's not just a dumb like a, a a horror movie poster or something you know we're trying to make it be legitimate and so yeah. I, I really feel like you have to you know you have to go back to the old masters you have to go to people like you who have that while they're painting more traditional type work this mm-hmm. is this is the the top this is the best stuff and we have to kind of learn from what what is um tried and true Good. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. It'd be interesting if we could look into the future and wonder which bunch of the of the artists of today, which ones are going to still be looking at. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think about that a lot. It's like, what's going to stick? And some are just going to fade away into obscurity. Not you a know? No question. No question. It's, it's <laughs> <About a, that. laughs> oh, my God. It's interesting. Who's going to make it to the museums of the future? Yeah, what what will they accept and what will they? Th- it's uh, the strange thing about that is it's gen- generally a board of directors and uh, big magazines that right. elect who's going to be the greats. Uh, I personally, and I don't know if you, but personally, I don't know if I would have been able to say this person is going to be great and this person's going to be. You oh know, yeah, it's hard forget to forget about this person. Yeah, it's hard to say. I've seen people. Um, do come on strong in the beginning of their career and then lose it. I've seen yeah. people go astray trying to fit into the blue chip art world and yeah. and have their beautiful work become terrible and boring and and uninteresting. But I've also seen people that I thought I don't know if they're gonna 
if they, if they have what it takes and then boom, they, they, you know, they put in the hard work and all of a sudden you see, wow, they did it. They've gotten to that point where, you know, they can, they can, they, they got it. They, they earned it, you know? So it's uh you never can tell really. Here's, here's the big question. Okay. <laughs> and I, I ask myself this and I answer it. Oh, I, maybe I'll lie to myself in the answer, but I <laughs> ask myself this question. If I did something scribbly on a piece of paper and somebody saw something in it that even I had no idea and said, Harley, I'm going to put you in the gallery and I, we're going to have one of the great newspapers. I want them to write a thing about you. And all of a sudden, if that sort of art started catching on, would I then be more than happy to jump on that bandwagon and get, let's say, 50,000 pictures, nothing, when you're looking at the modern art world. Right, right. That means, oh, God, that's cheap. But when you start talking millions, right. I'm just saying to myself, can I be bought? Right. <laughs> It'd be hard and to I'm say no to millions of dollars. <laughs> yeah, I, for millions. I'm just wondering who in the art world can or can't be bought. I'm right. just saying this in a general way. Yeah, yeah. I think about that too. Yeah, I don't. It's it's hard to say in, unless you're there. You if know? somebody offers you a million dollars a painting, you know, right? You say to yourself, "Woo." You know, I'm not saying what you're doing now, you and I and everybody else. Right. I'm saying if you do something that's very strange and out of this world and out of the ordinary, and uh, as we see a lot of the art, and they're unbelievable prices, and the unbelievable prices are supposed to say that this is serious right. art. Important. Yeah, important. Well, I just thought I'd throw that in. Uh, that's a that's a good. Um... That's a, a a good thing to contemplate. I I I feel like you know, I'm so. <laughs> I feel like I might go for it and take the money uh-huh. and think that I can imagine. I put it this way: I can imagine this happening. I go for that, take the money, and then I think, oh, I'll just keep doing my other thing. But it would probably completely ruin my life, and I would be miserable. You'd I be, think those millions would make you. I, I I would I think I would lose myself in that. That's a very good point, you and know? I've thought that too. Could I go to bed at night right. in this big super mansion that I'm living in, and think and and peacefully go to sleep? Yeah, because I I, ha- I have that now, and and yeah. I don't know if I would have that if I was there playing that game. There you go. And that's yeah. not really worth any amount of money, peace yeah. of mind, you know. Yeah. Now, and especially if you're living comfortably, you know, right. and so on. Uh, but it exactly, that's exactly the thing. Can you go to bed that night? And a lot of people say, oh, God, I could have a... But you, people, those people do not realize yeah. what a big turnabout that is in your life. Even if you got that mansion and the Ferrari and so on, and people are... Oh, there he comes. Oh, there's he's coming. Oh, he's at the show. There he's. I see him there. Yeah. And all of those things, the fame and the fortune. But you and I have seen a lot of people. I've seen many people that have millions of dollars Mm -hmm. that they go to bed cranky and unsatisfied. 
Oh, and that some of them kill themselves. I mean, you, you see kill, all these yeah. celebrities and musicians that are millionaires oh, killing themselves. It's like just terrible to see. Money, money, it really, truly doesn't buy you happiness. You know? No, it doesn't. But that's the truth. You know, it's a fact. Yeah. What do they say? I read something that if you, uh, people aren't any happier. What was it? Seven. If if you make seventy thousand a year. It's yeah. like you get a little bit happier if you go for like for 10,000 more, you'll be a little more happy. But yeah. beyond, beyond that, if, even if you make a million or 10 million, it doesn't add to your happiness. They did some study and it's like there's a, a certain point. there's a certain limit, you know, Very you, and point. it basically means if yeah. you're comfortable and you can pay the bills, you're going to be happy. You don't have to yeah. have 10 houses and exactly. boats and everything for your That's happiness. Exactly right. Yeah, you, you you sometimes you have to learn that when you're young, you you're not uh, your mind is still in the wild stage. But when you get right. to a certain time in your life, that you do understand that there are certain things in life uh, that make it worthwhile. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I, I that's that's a good place to end. <laughs> Perfect. We're, we're at two hours and fifteen minutes, so that oh was, that goodness. was a nice long episode. And um, well, it's been a pleasure, and you brought a lot of things out of me that I'm going to have to start pondering. Well, that's that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. I can't tell you how how uh, how much fun this was for me, and how exciting it was, and uh, and I really appreciate you agreeing to do this and taking the time out um, because it's it's gonna it's going out to a lot of newer younger artists that are just starting to find their way. So I think it's really important for them to, you know, hear it from the, the words from the, the master himself. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, all of us artists are, it's a sisterhood and a brotherhood and that we're kind of in this sort of thing, the creative world. And it's, uh, and we have to kind of appreciate each other Yeah, and support each uh, other and support each other emotionally, you know, Mm-hmm. There's, uh, I understand. Let's put it this way: I do understand the the high points and the difficulties and the the, jubil- the jubilation of being an artist, and it's worth it. Whoever's out there wanting to be an artist, it is worth it. Yep, <laughs> absolutely, I agree, I concur. So, all right, I'm going to let you go. Um, stay on the line. I'm, I'm going to kind of say goodbye, but stay, don't hang up on me yet oh. so I can say goodbye to you. But, uh, yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I really appreciate it. It was amazing. You're, Chet, it was, you're, it's been, you're amazing. Well, thank you, Chet. It's been a great experience here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, great, great. Yeah, and tell Lori thank you for uh, setting this up. I and will. Thank you, everybody out in the audience who uh, is listening to the podcast. We appreciate it. Um, you know. If you want to support us, you can go to our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash darkartsociety. You can join for as little as a dollar a month. Although I probably already said that in the intro, but I'm going to say it again because it's important to support the Dark Art Society podcast. Um, And yeah, that's it. Thanks for everyone for listening. Thank you, Harley, for coming on. And we will catch you all next week. Goodbye. Bye-bye.